Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, gang, and welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you. Had a busy show this afternoon. Ted Wyman will pop on in hour number two and give us the latest on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers back at practice, ready to host the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Friday night. And we've got lots to talk about on the Winnipeg Jets. Murata Tesh of the Athletic a little later on in the program. And we'll also have a little chit-chat with my pal Dustin Nielsen, partner in the Lock Shop. Did just do our CFL picks for the week. Check out the Lock Shop on your favorite podcast platform wherever you get in Winnipeg Sports Talk. And uh, talk a little hockey, a little CFL, more with Dusty as we get things going. But um, lots to get to coming out of last night's preseason home opener for the Winnipeg Jets. And the first time we got a chance to see and hear from Jets head coach Rick Bonus playing the majority of his veteran players. And let's just say there was some interesting stuff coming from the head coach after last night's game. We'll get to all of that coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, before we do that, I want to thank the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Princess Auto, Coolbet Canada, not Autocorp along with Consolidated Supply, Wallace & Wallace, Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Royal Sports, F Apparel, Boston Pizza, Canadian Club Whiskey, Aikens Lake, Breezy Bend, the Nick & Nicky DQ Group, Little Brown Jug, and of course, Assiniboia Downs. Last night of live racing is this evening. Beautiful day out today in Winnipeg, so uh, no Jets games, no football tonight. Might be a great day to get out to the track if you haven't been there, and Obviously, they've got that massive pick five jackpot that must go as well. We'll do some horse picks for the final time this live racing season a little later on today on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Welcome to everybody in the chat and welcome to Michael Remus. Remo, what's going on? How are you? I'm feeling good, Huss. We had a good uh, good home game, first home game yesterday of the preseason and lots to talk about from that. Mm, I guess fresh uh, haircut alert. Yeah, fresh I got haircut a, alert. I, I got a fresh haircut this morning. I'm trying to get myself uh, in the right wow. spot here on the screen, but yeah, Looking fresh haircut sharp. alert. And I don't know. We had the game, so that was good. And I see people in the building. I know uh, we had a bunch of uh, winners here at the end of the show yesterday tweeting us their pictures of themselves enjoying the game. And we got the bomber game. The bombers are back. I almost forgot about them. You know, with the Jets training camp last week, the bombers were on the bye. We didn't really talk about them, but big game Friday against Saskatchewan. Yeah, no doubt. And we'll get to that with Ted Wyman a little bit later on, who's uh, down at Bomber Practice covering it uh, later on. But, um, you know, we'll, um, we're going to talk lots of Jets today. I mean, we got a chance to see the group for the first time on home ice. Connor Hellebuck starting. You had the Jets' top line, a Shifley, Connor, and Ehlers playing together. Blake Wheeler and Cole Perfetti in the lineup. No Pierre-Luc Dubois. He was out there early, and it looks like he'll be kind of the uh, C1 heading out to Montreal to play with a younger group tomorrow in the uh, in the NHL preseason. Um, and we saw a little more from Daniel Torgerson, who was the star of last night scoring two goals. Overall, though, first of all, shout out to everyone that uh, entered for the tickets yesterday. Uh, you know, Doug Phil had a great time at the game with his son. I saw a picture from Kochi. That was awesome. Um, and it was just great to be back in the building. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about crowds and whatnot. I have to say, I mean, for the first preseason game, which is normally lightly attended, um, there was a good vibe in the building, a pretty good crowd, just over 13,000 overall. And um, it was great. I, I had a, some questions from people. 
how things were working with season ticket holder discounts and whatnot. Good thing is for the preseason, as far as I can tell, everything is essentially on sale as if fans are season ticket holders. Uh, beer was 25% off last night. Uh, pop, popcorn, I believe, water, the same items that they had last year. Um, and as far as if you're at the pro shop or wanting to use a discount, um, they basically just looked it up. But I do believe we'll have some clarity on how the thing is going to be done through the app this year as opposed to handing out cards the way they did last year. Um, so that was just a little bit of information that people were asking. Um, but, uh, you know, it went well last night. And as I said, some good deals, uh, as it were, uh, compared to normal day prices um, for the preseason. And at Remo, I also did get a chance to take a look at the Dale Howarchuk statue when I was walking out after the game. Now, it is wrapped, but it's pretty clear what play they have made. And it is the uh, the iconic, Dale Howarchuk's iconic part of the 87 Canada Cup winning goal that involved Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky. And uh, this thing is stunning. Um, the base of it, um, anyway, Saturday is going to be a really, really cool event. Um, we showed you yesterday the uh, coin that they're going to be giving away on the Dale Howarchuk night um, on the statue commemoration night on Saturday. And all are welcome to head down for the statue unveiling, which will happen. The ceremony is going to begin at 5.15 p.m. on Saturday, and the access to the site begins at 4.30. Um, I cannot wait to see what this looks like once everything has been taken off because some of the little subtle details that you know, we could pick up from the base um, and at the bottom of the statue were were phenomenal. So this is going to be a really, really amazing piece of um, art in Winnipeg Jets history in our downtown and really looking forward to that game on Saturday. That being said, we've got a lot to get to from last night's game, Remo. And uh, as we mentioned, we're going to get to Rick Bonus and his comments in a few minutes. <laughs> There's a lot to digest from that. Uh, but what a night for Daniel Torgerson. Um, two goals, almost had the opportunity for a hat trick late. And as I said, after he scored a second, he was halfway there to Hanu Yarvinpa, who famously scored four goals in a preseason game and got the entire Jets nation very fired up back in the 1.0 days. Never really turned into much of a National Hockey League regular. Uh, but Torgerson, for such a young player, I think has really acquitted himself quite well. And the other guy that you know got another real good look from the Winnipeg Jets last night, including on the PK was the big Finn Saku Manalainen wearing number eight last night, Remo. He was a, he was an impactful player, and you could tell he in particular was getting plenty of opportunities to show the coaches that he's um, you know uh, in the mix for a, potentially a roster spot. Yeah, Manalainen also leading the team in shorthanded minutes, and that's something we talked about before uh, the game yesterday, how you know, he had been used on the penalty kill in Finland where he played pro, and they were looking to get him some additional minutes, and they definitely did yesterday. And he's a guy, they don't really have that that body type. as big guy, throws weight around, kill the penalties. Um, I think he got a shot to be on the team. I don't think there's too many roster spots available, and we'll talk more about that with Murat. And I think some depends on Morgan Barron's health, who was skating today in a yellow non-contact jersey. But this guy's making an impact. As for Torgerson, on those two goals... Mm -hmm. That he scored and he almost had the hat trick. You know, you're watching the play and you see Kyle Connor looping around there, and there's this wide open uh, space of ice. And Torgerson coming out of the box sees the ice, gets to it, gets the shot off, and it goes in. And kind of the same thing on the other on his second goal. 
where he just is in the offensive zone, sees where, hey, there's no one standing here. Let, I'm going to go there. And he gets the puck on his stick from behind the net and, and puts it in. And kind of the same play on the, where he almost had the hat trick. So a really strong game from him. He had played at the World Juniors, and we had people in chat here uh, who were fired up for that. So I, um, yeah, you got, you got to be really impressed uh, with what you saw from Daniel Torgerson. Probably going to start with the Moose, but what? Former uh, second round draft pick from the Jets, 20 years old. Uh, that's pretty good, Huss. Uh, 40th overall in 2020. That's Daniel Torgerson. Well, and he and Nikanen signed late last year and did join the Moose for a few games at the end and both made an impact. Um, I don't think anyone thought that they were probably in the mix for roster spots this year. Uh, but at that age, they're certainly going to, in all likelihood, be playing significant roles with the Manitoba Moose this season and will work to be in a position that when needed, maybe they could potentially be a uh, a call-up. I'll say this, for guys that are on the bubble or potential Moose guys, um, Torgerson obviously stood out last night and the finish that he had on that second goal um, was uh, was a big league snipe. I mean, uh, had the opportunity, didn't have a lot of time and space and roofed that thing right up into the top corner. Um, that's exactly what you want. Um, but it was also getting in position where he had opportunities to make plays. I didn't mind Nikonen's game last night. And the other guy that you really notice when he's out there, maybe part of it was that he was essentially in the Pierre-Luc Dubois spot, especially on the power play, was Mikey Isamont. And He's, you know, a smaller energy type player that can be a real pain in the ass, but certainly at the AHL level, he's shown that, you know, he does have some offensive chops and it was interesting to see how he played. He did get a goal courtesy of uh, a tip in from Kyle Connor on the power play and uh, Connor looked like he was in pretty much mid-season form, um, you know, with the lineup that the Ottawa Senators sent here, um, much like the Jets on Sunday to Edmonton, it was a younger, more inexperienced group that did have some moments. Shane Pinto had a big game last night. Uh, but when Kyle Connor had the puck on his stick, he really was controlling the game. Uh, but we got a chance to see, for the first time, the line of Connor, Shifley, and Ehlers playing together this season under Rick Bonus. And uh, as Bones mentioned, we got to see them maybe a little more than he would like. Uh, <laughs> some comments, Some comments about the shift links right out of the gate let me just say this if you were if you were missing paul maurice because of the epic post game comments and pressers that he had here during his time in winnipeg i wouldn't worry too much about it because if last night is any indication i think we're going to have some pretty entertaining material and honest material from rick bonus who was quite honest last night about a win, but um, something that many areas of his hockey team's game needs to clean up. And one of those things right out of the gate was the shift lengths. And he was pointing the finger straight at the veterans, Remo. It wasn't the young guys trying to crack the fourth line. We've been hearing for years, oh, we're a young team. We're a young team. And we've pointed out in this chat over the last year, like, hey, you know, the veteran guys doing stuff that, um, you know, isn't helping the team also. It's not just the young guys. And... I have all these comments ready. Has Rick Bonus after the game? You know, he said, "Look, I'm not gonna poo-poo a win and act here all mad, but it is preseason, and you do want to clean things up." And I will say this: I, I was watching the game. Like, I thought the Jets were gonna steamroll the Sens, and it took them a while to get going. Um, I felt like I was in last year 
for the first like period and a half. I was like, what is We're going on We're not talking here? about last year, but that was I, Did you not feel like, like, what's going on? Am I like in the twilight zone? What did I go back in time? Like, this is like, this is just one of the, you saw this all the time where, you know, you think the Jets should steamroll this other team that's sending, you know, none, no veteran guys. And, you know, Ottawa was out shooting them and out chancing them. Hellbuck had to stand on his head at times, making incredible saves. But then after it was, I think, the Icemont goal, and then uh, Hainala scores, uh, which was a great uh, great goal because he was on for one against. And then, uh, sorry, it was Icemont, then Torgerson, then Hainala. You, know, you had the three in the row in the second period, and the game, the game really turned after that, although Pinto scored right after, and it was 4-3. You're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know here. What's, what's going on? Yeah, Shane Pinto with a laser bean uh, of a goal. He um he was good last night. He, he was definitely uh, in the mix. I mean, he would have, I guess, technically been one of their veterans. I mean, it was a very, very young lineup. Uh, but there was some energy in the Ottawa Senators lineup that at times was sort of lacking from the Winnipeg Jets. And again, first preseason game, we're not going to make too, too much of it. Um, but Rick Bonus sort of did. And Bonus had some you know, well, we're going to get to bonuses comments in a middle, uh, in, in a minute. I'll say this about Vili Hanela. Um, listen, I know he's a first round pick and he has some really, really unique talents that I think are definitely exciting to a lot of fans, myself included. But if, if Vili is going to make this team, he is going to need to, to stand out and go and grab that spot. It's not, I mean, it, there's not just a spot waiting for him, like, for instance, a Cole Perfetti up front. And I thought that he struggled at times last night. Um, now, you know, for his sake, you know, you got that goal later on, which I think was a big confidence booster. Um, and it showed that that is one of the aspects that Billy can, you know, take advantage of a little bit of space, be aggressive, move up into the play. Uh, but earlier, it was that same aggressiveness that I think Rick Bonus is wanting from his defenseman uh, that turned into a two-on-one the other way that went into the Winnipeg net. So um, I really do think Vili's up against it. I, for a long time, I'd been thinking that he was going to be on this roster at the beginning of the season because some moves would be made. I mean, now that we're midway through training camp and getting into the preseason, um, I, I I don't know where you're at on this, Remus, but I think the most likely result of at least the the, the training camp and preseason portion might be seeing Villanueva start the year back on the Manitoba Moose. Yeah, we talked about this yesterday, and uh, I kind of uh, agree with you. I mean, he hasn't shown. Um, I don't I don't know if they trust him. As you see plays like early on where he's on for the goal against, but then you see him go up in the play and score a goal. I'm not sure if the consistency is there, but also I think they have um, his type of player already, and they don't have too many Sandbergs. And Sandberg stepped in last year, showed he was ready, and I would go with him. And it's funny how I think the the chat yesterday basically said that Sandberg's got the inside track now on that spot ahead of Stanley and Hanelon. We can get to we'll get to the lines for tomorrow's game. Later, but just still on on last night's game, it seems like Sandberg has um, he's the uh, favorite right now for that last spot. Yeah, I'd say. I mean, Sandberg didn't do anything that really jumped off the page last night. I mean, uh, listen, for a preseason game, we've talked a lot about competition. There weren't a ton of guys that really stood out. Um, as I said, Rick Bonus was the guy that stood out for what he had to say after the game. Although I did like Madalena, and I thought that he was, and it was also interesting to see Blake Wheeler killing penalties. 
And we'll get to that, I guess, in Bones' comments. But he said some of the regular, more experienced penalty killers weren't there and had both he, he mm-hmm. Wheeler, and Shifley out there at times. But I do wonder whether Wheeler might potentially grow into a role that involves a little bit more PK as opposed to being a regular on the power play for uh, for so long. Uh, but, of course, we'll talk to Marat about this when he joins us a little bit later on on the look of the uh, the Jets' power play. But let's get to Rick Bonus's comments from last night. As I mentioned, Dustin Nielsen's going to join us in a few. Uh, but I do want to get to this. and I'm going to save the why not question of the day for a couple minutes because it's in relation to something that Rick said. Um, but let's start it off. Daniel Torgerson had the great game last night, had a couple goals. Rick Bonus talked about Torgerson's performance last night for that first preseason game at Canada Life Centre. Well, he put two in the net, and he had a couple of good looks. So uh, he's a big, strong, heavy guy. He's, he's strong on the puck. So he put himself in, in the right positions to score and give him credit for that. All right, so a uh, little dap for uh, for Torgerson after scoring a couple last night. Uh, well, I'm sure Torgerson felt pretty good about his game. Uh, Rick Bonus overall, not particularly happy for uh, about the win. Uh, when uh, you dive a little bit more into it outside of the final score? Uh, I'll never complain about a win, but listen, there's a lot of work to be done here, and there, and there is. Um, I thought we started to skate better in the, in the, in the third. Um, other than that, no, I'm not happy with the way we played at all. So there's just, uh, I know a couple, a lot of guys had their first game, but... That that being said, uh, we have to play a lot faster than that. All right, so Rick Bonus, um, pretty honest assessment of uh, his team's performance in the first game, in the first home game, and the first game for many of those players, especially the veteran players and the guys that Rick Bonus is going to be leaning on, in particular the guys that he has on his top line right now in Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, and Nikolai Ehlers. Um, Bones then expanded a little bit more on what he didn't like about last night's game. Two things that slow you up are long shifts and turnovers. And we're guilty of both tonight. You, 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 so take out the X and O's and everything. If you want to stay out there for 55 seconds and you're going to turn pucks over, you're going to play very, very slow, which we did. In the third, we shortened the shifts up. We started going north, and we looked a lot better. So there's a right way to play. It took us to the third to figure that out. All right. <laughs> so there's Rick Bonus. Uh, first game for Mark Shifley, uh, as well as Ehlers and Connor. Focusing on shift length and uh, turnovers. Um, Remus, I, I certainly can't be the only one that noted how long Rick Bonus mentioned of the length of the shift—55 seconds. Um, did that stand out as uh, as as unique to you? Uh, many people would say a minute shifts. Um, any any thoughts on why he particularly said 55 seconds last night? Um, I'm not sure, Huss. I have the average shift length from uh, natural Statric up here. And yeah, 55 seconds. I don't know. But I know Mark Shifley is number 55, and he's on the top line. And that line's average shift length was um, was longer than any other line. But maybe it was just a coincidence, Huss. Because you like nice numbers. You like multiples of five. 
And if I bring up the average shift length, Shafley was, uh, sorry, I can go five, this is on five on five. Shafley's at 57 seconds average length. Ehlers, 57. Connor, 59. Um, I don't know, maybe 55 just is just rounding down from 57. He didn't want to round up to a minute. Uh, you can't Listen, say, you can't say 57. That's not a sexy number. It's like, we like nice round numbers, multiples of five, multiples of 10. 57, it doesn't roll off the tongue like 50, 55 in minute. Well, that's just not being fair because they were under a minute. All right. Well, we're here to speculate and we're here to have some fun with it. Why not question of the day right now <laughs> here on Winnipeg Sports Talk for our friends at Not Autocorp, Waverly and McGilvery. You can check them out online at not.ca. Did Rick Bonus indirectly or very subtly but publicly call out Mark Shifley with his 55 seconds comment or was that a Total coincidence. Very interested in your thoughts, people. Hit us up in the chat right now if you're with us live. And if you were watching this episode of Winnipeg Sports Talk after we broadcast it Wednesday afternoon, hit us up in the comments with how you took that statement. Remo, can we play that one more time again? Yeah. Because, and I will admit, I listened to this like a million times last night. But just in case people missed it, this is one more time talking very clearly about the top line, but um, what do you what do you make of this? Play this one more time. Two things that slow you up are long shifts and turnovers, and we're guilty of both tonight. You, 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 so take out the X and O's and everything. If you want to stay out there for 55 seconds and you're going to turn pucks over, you're going to play very, very slow, which we did. In the third, we shortened the shifts up. We started going north, and we looked a lot better. So there's a right way to play. It took us to the third to figure that out. All right, so give us your thoughts on it. I, uh, I have my thoughts. I think that was a little bit of a subtle, not so subtle, um, wake up if you will to quote our buddy ken we but uh, here's one more clip from uh, from rick bonus and then dustin nielsen's going to join us and this is a, i think a big part of the entire theme of what he had to say last night after the game but his expectations we've spent a lot of time talking with the young guys trying to make the team well what about the veteran players on this team here are bonuses expectations for the vets um veterans or not i i think just think we just got to learn to play the right way and we got to stop playing slow and I don't like that one bit. So the veterans have to lead the way. You want to talk about shorter shifts and keeping the thing going north, the veterans have to lead the way. The veterans can't be the issue, that we got to fix the veterans. And they got to be leading the way and showing the kids how to play the right way. So that's going to be our job. But that's, again, like I said, we have a lot of work to do. New sheriff in town, Rick Bonus, with the comments from last night. We'll talk more about this with Murata Tesh coming up in a few minutes. And again, keep your comments coming in the chat. And again, if you're with us later on, why not question of the day? Was that a not-so-subtle dig at, in particular, his number one center, Mark Shifley, last night with the 55 seconds comment put us in the comments. All right, Dustin Nielsen's joining us. Just before you do that, a big shout out to the gang over at Consolidated Supply, our newest sponsor as part of the Winnipeg Sports Talk family. They've been a leader in the golf industry for a long time. And if you are thinking ahead to next year, whether it be irrigation help for your lot right now, uh, you want to have a beautiful green long DIY irrigation solutions are available for you. As well as, you know, if you're spending some time splitting from the city in the cabin, 
unsure if your lawn was watered? Our buddy Joe has Wi-Fi enabled controllers to check in on your cell phone as well. And hey, if you don't even want to deal with that artificial turf that will look beautiful uh, and heck, if you want to get that dream putting green in the backyard, they've got that as well. Golf carts, they're the official club card dealer. They can do anything. Some real tricked out numbers as well, including four and six passenger ones. And uh, hot tubs, outdoor kitchens, high-end barbecues, and more. Find out what Consolidated Supply can do for you and get that project going. CTE.ca. And, uh, of course, Consolidated Supply over at 1395 Niagara Road East and uh, 470-3832. Back to School is here at Vita Health Fresh Market. And you can stop by any Vita Health store for great school-friendly snacks and lunch items and great immunity products like vitamin C and D. Great prices on natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries is all there at one of seven Vita Health Fresh Markets. And of course, they've also got delicious lunch options like Vita Market salad, soup, sandwiches, and more. You can grab the Grab and Go Fresh Deli. And if you can't make it down to one of the stores, visit their new fully shoppable website to buy online, schedule a delivery, or in-store pickup. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and online at myvita.ca. And folks, with the snow coming, hopefully not too soon, there still is time to get a beautiful new garage door delivered and installed from the experts at Wallace and Wallace. You know, Wallace and Wallace is the fencing experts for decades here. You've seen their trucks and fences all around the city. You might not know that Wallace and Wallace works with Clopay, the largest garage door manufacturer in the world. And you can still get that new garage door delivered and installed just in time for back to school and the snow flying in a month or so. And hey, a new garage door can add up to 4% to the value of your home as well. 161 styles of garage doors to choose from at Wallace and Wallace. There's definitely a style that's right for your home. Visit them at wallacedoors.com. Give them a call or visit their showroom on Lawson Road. All right. Let's uh, welcome in my guy, Dustin Nielsen. Of course, folks, if you have not been checking out our daily content in the lock shop, make sure to do that. You can follow us both on Twitter at Hustlerama at Nielsen TSN 1260. And in the coming days, we'll have a new lock shop YouTube channel where you can subscribe and get it all as well. But uh, lots of fun, Dusty. No travel this week, Dusty. Actually getting to call a game at home. Uh, the long-awaited, I'm calling it right now, first Elks win in forever what's up great to have you back on WSP. Yeah, good to be here buddy um yeah wouldn't that be something the the local edmonton boy gets to call the long-awaited victory uh, the storyline there writes itself with that being said i know all you bombers fans listen i would love to be in winnipeg to do that bombers riders game let's be honest that's gonna be a great game as well um but yeah i mean it's, it's gonna be nice to stay home for a weekend my kids my kids start hockey this weekend so i'll be able to be there and be on the ice with both of them for their seven and five-year-old skates and uh, so that's a positive. That's good. No doubt about it. And uh, of course, you called both the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl. I mean, two, in the entire season, it's hard to get two better atmospheres than those two games. Obviously, both games won by the Bombers, but two very different games, a real tight battle in Saskatchewan. And then uh, the floodgates just got open the last time these two teams played here in Winnipeg. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was an ugly one. I mean, I know we always joke about it on the lock shop that I, I only call close football games, uh, but not the case that day. <laughs> I also had a kind of a blowout in Vancouver this past week with Calgary giving it to the BC Lions pretty good for the most part of that game as well. But yeah, that was a very impressive bounce back performance by the uh, by the Bombers. I was actually pretty surprised with how close the Riders got at home in you know in the first game. Um, and then in the Banjo Bowl, you know, Bombers obviously just took over. So uh, the, the Riders still have a long way to go. They're getting a little bit healthier, but the Bombers clearly a, clearly a juggernaut. I think we all know that. Plus, I mean, you mentioned the atmospheres. It was great. It was great in Mosaic, and it was it was unreal for that Banjo Bowl. I know you texted me. You're like, this is the greatest atmosphere I've seen outside for a game. And I think you were right, man. Like, it was it was amazing out there. The, you know what? That The Princess Auto tailgate zone beforehand was I mean, a sea of blue and green. It was festive. It was fun. It was a gorgeous day. I mean, honestly, it doesn't get any better than that. And I've said to you on a number of times, if there's any way we could introduce people in some of the struggling CFL markets, yes, what is going on here in Western Canada, particularly in Winnipeg, in Saskatchewan for a long time, and to a lesser extent in Alberta, um, you know, I think it, you know, you could, you could really spark a renaissance of it in some other areas, but that's a lot easier said than done. Um, again, folks, if you want to hear all of our picks for this week in the CFL, we did about a half hour episode earlier on. It's up wherever you get your podcast or check our Twitter feed so you can watch the, uh, the video. Um, let me ask you this. What, um, the last time we spoke, I was very interested going into Edmonton Oilers camp as to where that team is regarding the cap, some of the young players, the Jesse Pujarvi situation. Um, we've been paying close attention to the Jets for the past week. Uh, what are sort of the big storylines around the Oilers? And in particular, what's the what are we hearing on Pujarvi, whether he's going to be an Oiler this year or if they don't make a move, how that affects them cap-wise with getting a roster set for the start of the season? Well, the... Uh... The one thing that we haven't heard is players taking too long of shifts at the beginning with a new head coach. Holy smokes. What do you think That's about so that? Strange. Buddy, I love it. I mean, I, I'm here for the drama. I've been in Edmonton for 12 years, and for about 10 of them, it was the same type of thing. So this is, this is I mean, from afar, from a distance, uh, I mean, I kind of chuckle, but I understand the new coach in Winnipeg's got to kind of lay down the law a little bit. In it Edmonton, was his first game. It was his yeah. first game with Shifley <laughs> and those guys playing, and then he drops a 55-second shift blast afterwards. Quincy. I get total coincidence. Some people will say that. I suggest that that maybe it's a little bit more of a subtle, uh, a subtle shot at them. Some guys that you know maybe need. Hey, if you're gonna do that, you may as well come out all guns blazing, letting guys know clearly what is expected of them to try to get them in. Because I think it's quite clear, and you would agree, the Winnipeg Jets of last season. Not that we want to continue beating that drum, but. They were disappointing. There was a lot of things. Then the way they played consistently just wasn't good enough. And there's a reason why Rick Bowe is in here. He's installing new systems. He wants this team to play very differently. And there was a lot, unfortunately, of some old bad habits that were creeping into that game. And he wasted no time at all to let everybody know his thoughts on how that's going to go over under in the Bones era here in the peg. Yes, I'm a little I'm a little jealous of the the early preseason drama in Winnipeg because here in Edmonton we're we've got to the point the last couple of years where there's not a lot of drama in the preseason. I mean, right now when you look at what's going on with the Oilers, yeah, they're up against it from a cap perspective. You know, there's still some people that believe yes, Puliyarvi could be traded before the beginning of the season. Um, you know, I'm not in that camp as far as 
you know, all of a sudden being able to pull the trigger and move a guy who makes 3 million bucks right before the season starts. And most teams are trying to figure out how to get down to the cap and, you know, make things work from that perspective. So I think that's highly unlikely. The big story here is, uh, is Dylan Holloway. Uh, coming in so far, you know, a guy who was a highly touted prospect has dealt with him injuries since he was drafted. Um, finally got healthy midway through last season, looked pretty good in the American Hockey League, uh, not dominant by any stretch of the imagination, but he went out to that Penticton tournament, was probably the best player on the ice in that tournament with all four teams that were there and then looked really good. Six shots on goal, had a deflection goal in his first preseason game, um, didn't play in the second preseason game, but people are excited to see a little bit more of Dylan Holloway because when you look at the Oilers top nine right now, one of the things that they've done to, to kind of start training camp is they do have yes RV back in the top six on the line with Leon Drysaddle and Zach Hyman. And then Ryan Nugent Hopkins right now is on a third line with uh, Ryan McLeod and Warren Fogle right now. And you wonder mm-hmm. if there's maybe an opportunity for uh, Holloway to take that job away from Warren Fogle and Fogle makes almost $3 million himself. So I don't know if there's a way to get rid of that contract or if you just suck it up and go into the season with the 21 man roster, like, everybody's projecting them to i think right now with the with a certain combination of 21 guys they can come in 166 dollars below the cap which is um <laughs> which is right up against it buddy yeah yeah that <laughs> i don't think you could possibly get a roster that's any closer to the cap of 166 dollars when you're talking about 82 million bucks it really is amazing and you know one of the things that the jets by trading the Brian Little contract, we're able to get out of was being in LTIR. I mean, last year, that was significant. It did pose some problems. I mean, is there concern that if they don't move that, you're going to be playing with less players and could be in real jams at times if guys are game time decisions and potentially not able to go on IR? Uh, yeah, I think there has to be. I mean, how, how can there not be, really? I mean, and right now they're trying to get... You know, they're trying to max out their cap to get that max LTIR for Clefbaum and and Mike Smith, right? So that's how they're going to structure the cap prior to the season when you got to lock in those, you know, initial rosters for the season. Uh, And then after that, you might see a a little bit of wiggle room, but it is somewhat concerning. I mean, if you're going to roll with 21 guys, you're probably rolling with your two goaltenders, obviously, 12 forwards and seven defensemen. The one area where you might be able to get by a little bit is that Jay Woodcroft doesn't mind running 11 forwards and seven D. So if you, if you lose a forward and you know, you can't get somebody called up right away for the league minimum, you could run 11 and seven because they like to do that anyway, when you've got McDavid and dry and you can move things around maybe on the fourth line a little bit. So there, I mean, that would be one reason that you can try to justify it a little bit in a perfect world. You want to have 23 guys on your roster and be under the cap, but in order to keep a Vander Kane in order to get Yamamoto, his new deal, you still, have yes to pull Yarvi. You kept Kulak around and you went out and got a number one goaltender that everybody been asking for for quite some time. I mean, they just put themselves right up against mm-hmm. it. I think I think they probably thought they'd be able to move one of Puliarvi or Fogel at some point and, and free up the three million, which would then allow them to have you know a couple guys on the roster at 1.2, 1.3 or something like that. But it just doesn't look like it's going to be the case. Now, we have to talk about Jay Woodcroft for a minute and we will get to <laughs> what was disclosed this morning on your show in a second. First of all, did you see this list of the best-looking NHL head coaches? Yeah. How yeah. the hell did he get number one? Well, I, wait, wait, wait a second. We're talking about him at number one, but Daryl Sutter's at number two? <laughs> okay. There hey, was some... how, like, whatever. The, this is a horrible promotion for this app that judges beauty. Like, think about, <laughs> think about coming in, and, that, and that's what it was done on. It was done on, like, this app, right, that, that judges handsomeness. Imagine you, you, you send the list. And you get the list back from this app and you're looking at it and going, 
what the hell? Bruce Boudreaux finished 16th. And even Bruce was like, there must be 30, you know, everybody else must be blind or whatever he said. It was a great quote. Classic Bruce Boudreaux. Here, um, you know what? Actually, I think we've got it here. Remus, do you, do you have that? Yeah, was it 31 people are tied for, for first or something <laughs> like that? It was... Yeah. Okay, yeah, we'll bring it was, this up. If people miss it this, great. it's so funny. And, like, if you're Peter Laviolette taking oh. 32 out of 32. And you know what? I'll say this. Peter Laviolette's not an ugly dude. No. Yeah, I don't think he's an ugly dude. I think he's better looking than Daryl Sutter, who was number two on the list. I think he's I just, repl- I replacement level handsomeness. You yeah, know, yeah. His, uh, his Corsi people love is rugged even. Alberta Cowboys. It's that <laughs> That's simple. Right. Okay, here, here's Bruce. Here's Bruce in Vancouver on this. <laughs> Bruce, there's a uh, gaming website that came out with a poll this morning ranking the uh, most handsome co- uh, coaches in the National Hockey League. Oh, my God. I don't want to be in that poll. Hey, I got good news for you. You're 16th overall, and out of ranking out of 10, you you, you scored a I think it was 8.0. <laughs> there must have been an awful lot of blind people doing that. Care to bet who they rank as the most handsome and the most ugliest? Well, no, I'm not going to say. I know who it is, but I'm not saying. Jim Woodcroft was the most handsome, and the ugliest was Peter Laviolette. Oh, not who I thought. But <laughs> Bruce, I love him. I love him, man. He is, he is the best. He was so excited. He got to give Kevin Owens a Canucks KO jersey when uh, <laughs> WWE that. was there uh, there last <laughs> week. Um, so anyways, that was hilarious. Everyone was having some fun. But this morning I turn on your show and you and LTE are talking about the littlest hobo. And I'm like, what Classic. in the world? What in the world could there be any relevance rev- to the littlest hobo on the Nielsen show this morning, but there in fact is a connection to the aforementioned Jay Woodcroft. Can you explain this? Yeah, I'll explain it. I mean, you should know from listening to the show, we don't really need a connection to anything to get uh, that's, sidetracked. That's, that's for sure. We could have done littlest hobo any day, but yeah, apparently Jay was brought to somebody slid to my DMS at like six o'clock this morning and they just sent this link. And I clicked on it. It was Jay Woodcroft and the Littlest Hobo. And it was IMDB page. And he was in the Littlest Hobo when he was four years old. It's season one, episode one of the Littlest Hobo. And he plays the role of Davey, like a three or four year old kid who accidentally eats rat poison in some raw hamburger and has to go see a vet. And then, of course, the Littlest Hobo saves the day. And uh, and Davey is able to move on with his life. But yeah, so this this came out of nowhere today like jay woodcroft has been in the organization for more than half a decade right he was co he was here he was coaching down in bakersfield he's back up here and now just randomly i think somebody said it originally popped up on reddit worked its way into our inbox ctv today who's in the same building as me ctv comes up and goes we're sending somebody down to ask woodcroft about this littlest hobo stuff and i was just like yes news guys perfect that's great because you know if a sports guy asks that question it's ridiculous take things seriously but ctv news can roll down there and get the story so i'm very excited to hear the response yeah get jimmy from ctv morning live to pop in and to muscle yeah. in and ask that one in the exactly yeah, ctv was, news and, and the and the the link is so funny too because they basically have this four-year-old kid sitting there <laughs> they put rat poison in the hamburger and then just leave <laughs> the four-year-old <laughs> right beside it and walk away and, well you can imagine what happens i, I well i luckily the uh, little timmy in the show i'm sure there was a happy ending. Uh, they had to go to a vet, I believe, because the yeah, doctor, yeah, was, the out doctor was out of town. Doctor was out of town, so they had to go to Susan, the vet. But she's not a doctor. Don't worry. She'll talk to the doctor, and they'll work their way through it. So I got to sit down and watch the whole episode tonight. Um, uh, spoiler alert, in the end, 
uh, little Davy lives. And he goes on to lead the Edmonton Oilers to a Stanley Cup in 2023. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, there is tons of excitement, though, about that. I mean, he did such a great job coming in last year. I mean, the way the year finished, considering where you guys were, that team was, uh, you know, it, you know, looking back at last season, I mean, I still remember those games between the Jets and Oilers at the end of November where the Jets had finished their best first 15 games since in the 2.0 era. Oilers were in first place. And about a month later, both of the teams were absolutely at rock bottom. Paul Maurice ended up packing his bags and leaving himself. And when Jay Woodcroft finally took over, I mean, he got the sort of bump that I think people were hoping would happen here in Winnipeg. And I imagine that has really cranked up the expectations, especially with the signing, but also the pressure on the shoulders of Jack Campbell, assumed to be a legit number one goalie that can help them get dubs. Yeah, there's there's high expectations. I know a lot of people say if they don't get back to the conference final, the entire season would be a disappointment. I don't know if I would go that far. I would say if they don't get to the second round of the playoffs, this season would certainly be a disappointment. Like this is a team that should 100% win a round in the National Hockey League playoffs. Then you get to the second round and anything from there. I mean, you, you never really know what happens. I'm not too sure the Western Conference overall is really that strong. So I think the Oilers have kind of hit the, you know, kind of the right time to try to take it to the next level. And Woodcroft came in last year and is a very interesting spot because the organization really liked Jay Woodcroft, but when he took over, it wasn't like all of a sudden, oh, he's the guy moving forward. So it was one of those situations where he does really well and you keep him, or he doesn't do very well, and maybe he's not a part of your organization anymore, right? So uh, he totally took advantage of it. You know, he, he's the fan base loves him. The media loves dealing with him. I think the players really respect the way that he treats them, and he's a little bit of a – from what we've been told, you know, he, he likes to manage everything. Like he's very hands-on in a lot of different aspects of it. Um, but, you know, maybe this is what that group needed after Dave Tippett. So I think there's a lot of people excited about it. The, the goaltending thing is probably the biggest one. Like they, they kept Evander Kane, which was great. He was perfect alongside Connor McDavid. So you've got that guy. Uh, they, they managed to bring Kulak back, and he'll get a more elevated role in the blue line with Duncan Keith gone. But bringing in Jack Campbell, and not only Jack Campbell, but you're also transitioning to Stuart Skinner as, you know, a 25 to 30 game backup. So for the last four years in this market, we talked about Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith, and it was never really a debate of who's playing better. They should go with that guy right now. It was always who's playing worse, who's healthy. This is who should be between the pipes. Now you're hoping that Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner can provide goaltending the other way and maybe not be at a Vesna caliber level, but just some consistency and the ability to stay healthy between the pipes would probably go a long way for this team overall as a group. You know, just speaking of Woodcroft, I think part of the reason why that app may have given him bonus marks was for the incredible power stance that he oh. had at the end of that series. I mean, that's been memed to death. Uh, but I'll say, I'll say this, that power stance only comes from a guy who was a child actor. Yeah. Simple enough. <laughs> Where do you think he learned the dramatics of throwing out a stance like that after a Battle of Alberta? You know, that's the sort of confidence you get from being a big wheel, even at four years old. Um, but the Battle of Alberta itself, I mean, I think we, you know, at one point this summer, we thought that, Maybe it would be a long time before we'd seen the Calgary Flames relevant again. Yeah. And Brad Treleving, with the magic job that he did, turning Gaudreau for nothing and Kachuk away into the hall that they brought back and then signing Nazem Kadri, it'll be a very different-looking Calgary Flames team up front. Um, but I have to admit, I mean, imagine the anticipation for the Battle of Alberta, especially in Calgary after getting worked the way they yeah. did in that Battle of Alberta series. Um going to be a great way. They, they have early games this season, I hope. 
Buddy, it's it's a disaster. The Oilers and Flames play three times this season, and that's it. The Battle of Alberta will only what? happen three times this season. There's only three games on the schedule. They play tonight. They play Friday preseason. There's only three regular season games on the schedule, and I think the last one is late December. I don't even think they play in the second half of the year. That makes no sense at all. I mean, Are they the same, same division? division? That doesn't yeah. make sense. Where's Remus at? I can't even see this guy. And I'm no, hearing he's his voice. just popping in. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> they go through this. Yeah, all. No, they only play three times, guys. It's it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. I do not understand from a National Hockey League perspective how you don't let those teams play five times. It doesn't make oh, sense. Man, Dusty, listen, this has been a heck of a lot of fun, folks. Make sure you're checking out the Lock Shop. Uh, we'll be getting after the Thursday nighter tomorrow. Great matchup between the Dolphins and Bengals and then uh, all the NFL content on Friday and Saturday. So uh, subscribe wherever you get it and uh, enjoy the fact that you don't have to be uh, tweeting out map watching pictures this week. (laughs) Enjoy a little time with the family and you will get a close game in that Edmonton game. We're on Elks plus three. And as I said, I think that plus 135 number is going to go down as we get closer to the game. So if you think this is the time for the Elks to win, I say now is the time to bet it. Little lock shop Edmonton sprinkle. I like it. I'll talk to you tomorrow, buddy. Thanks, Dustin. There he is, Dustin Nielsen at Nielsen TSN 1260 on Twitter. And uh, as we mentioned, uh, now daily. And we've cranked this up to six days a week. So uh, we'll uh, look forward to getting into the lock shop tomorrow with our Thursday nighter and then our extended NFL show on Friday after a great week of picks after, you know, a tough like often for the first couple weeks of the season. All right, really looking forward to uh, getting after it with Murata Tesh coming up in just a minute. Um, and don't forget Ted Wyman a little later on today as well. Um, well, we'll ask Murat this a little later on, but uh, why not question of the day? Coincidence or not about the 55-second mm, shift comment that we got from the coach yesterday. Um, again, not AutoCorp, a great sponsor of ours since day one. And the spot, folks, if you are planning on getting a new car or upgrading your current vehicle before you do anything, pop down to not AutoCorp at Waverly and McGilvery. Uh, new GM, Sean, my guy, Andre Clark, the sales manager, are there ready for you to help you get into the car of your dreams at a great price. Why not let the not AutoCorp folks uh, make that happen for you? Amazing selection of vehicles on the lot right now, including Teslas. They've been the Tesla leader in Manitoba for sales for a number of years. And uh, listen, if there's a type, uh, make and model that you've got your heart set on, the Not Experts will get you into it. Get it here to Winnipeg at the best possible price. Not AutoCorp. Pop down and see them. Tell them the WST boys sent you. Waverly and McGilvery and online at not.ca. Well, uh, Canada lost to Uruguay yesterday in that World Cup friendly. But the countdown is on to Qatar. And Royal Sports has a massive selection of Canada soccer gear getting you ready for the World Cup. If you haven't got your red and white already, what are you waiting for? And while you're there, check out all the great Jets merchandise, exclusive bomber gear, Major League Baseball, NFL, Raptors and NBA and tons of Blue Jays merch. And of course, Royals also the hockey superstore in town for over 40 years. Any hockey needs, they've got you covered. Royal Sports, the superstore, 750 Pemina Highway. And uh, make sure to follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for their latest merchandise drops and sale information. Um, 
are the gang at F Apparel is ready to go for fall, and uh, you should be too. Check the wardrobe, folks, guys. Everyone needs at least one suit that fits and looks great, and chances are maybe in the last couple of years you haven't had to wear one very often. Well, if you upgrade the wardrobe, F Apparel is the spot. Custom suits beginning at just $400. The entire process is awesome. Andrew and his great staff size you up, get to choose your style, color, fa- um, fabrics, and whatnot. Um, great selection of accessories. And then uh, a few weeks later, you got a great new suit to take you through the winter. And hey, guys, if you're also planning a wedding, great deal for wedding parties. Don't waste your money renting and then returning. Get custom suits from F, 15% off for the entire wedding party. Pop down and see them, 190 Smith Street downtown and online at fapparel.com. All right, let's welcome in our guy, Marat Atesh. Remo, pop in for here for a second while we're uh, getting Marat in a bit better of a spot where we can listen to him more. Um, we do have some lines to get to uh, from what looks like going to be the roster for tomorrow's game in Montreal. And Pierre-Luc Dubois will be back in the lineup. And uh, we're going to see Sam Gagne for the first time as well. Yeah, kind of surprising we haven't seen uh, Sam Gagne and... Nate Schmidt, an exhibition or preseason action yet, but they're looking like tomorrow's lineup. Mike McIntyre tweeting out the lines. Reichel, Dubois, Gagne on the top line. Harkins, Gustafson, Appleton, uh, Pole, Stanland, Lucius, Malat, Meyer, Jones, Stanley, Schmidt, Gavanka, Kovacevic, Chisholm, Capabianco, and Bauer, the last D. Uh, Riddich with Arvid Holm there in net. So those are our goalies. And Baron, Morgan Baron, non-contact. And also, uh, Leon Gavanka got the puck in the net and the face yesterday. Uh, Rennie reported on that one. And um, he's wearing a uh, full cage. So that's uh, that's the update there. But this is looking like uh, the lineup. And they kind of have us. I looked at the lines. I guess you got kind of like the, the B lineup, right? I mean, they're sending the young lineup to Montreal. Yeah, I'm not sure how Dubois drew the straw to uh, get to go to Edmonton and go to Montreal. Well, maybe Montreal, you can see some friends and family. Maybe he wanted to be in that lineup. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see with Gustafson uh, and Appleton and Harkins in that group. And um, all right, I think we've got Marat back. Let's uh, bring Marat. Thanks very much for uh, for doing that. Um, You know, we were just talking about this lineup for Montreal. Um, Dubois, we're going to see Gagne for the first time. Nate Schmidt's getting in for the first time. But I have to admit, I'm somewhat intrigued by the fact that Gustafson is playing with Appleton and Harkins scheduled for that game tomorrow, Marat. Yeah, I mean, that's a role that, in a best-case scenario, you could project David Gustafson to play at some point. I don't think it's a sign that Adam Lowry, who played last night, is on the outs in terms of the third-line possibility. What I really do think is that with the status of Morgan Barron still, uh, he's wearing a red non-contact jersey. With Mason Appleton being a fixture on that third line. With Jansen Harkins being first in line, I think, to to join that trio. Well, all of a sudden, if you're not going to dress Adam Lowry tonight, David Gustafson is the next available man to step up. I think Gustafson's job is assured. I think probably he's going to be the fourth-line center. But to promote him with those two guys in that particular role, which is what you want him to grow into is exactly the right play. And you compare that to a year ago when you were looking at the types of lineups and, and pairings that David Gustafson found himself on. He was playing with, you know, middle-of-the-pack AHL competition throughout camp. This is a real look for a good young player, and he's going to be asked to play a responsible checking role, which is his future in the NHL. Well, that'll be something we'll really pay attention to tomorrow. And 
It is interesting that Dubois was not in the lineup last night and is going with a much younger group on the road to Edmonton and, of course, on the road to Montreal. Um, and it was Mikey Esamont that sort of took his place. What did you think of the Jets' power play? I mean, that was something I was very interested to see in last night's game as to how it would look. Um, and certainly it was productive. I mean, I don't know how much we can take again considering who they were playing against, a bunch of young players that probably hadn't had a lot of experience for DJ Smith killing penalties. Um, but this power play is going to need to be a big part of the Winnipeg Jets success this season if they're going to have it. And we got our first chance to see the majority of that group working with Nikolai Ehlers on it. Yeah, that was my first takeaway is specifically who is on the units and what could we read into that? So with Nick Ehlers, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, Josh Morrissey being the guys that you could realistically expect to be on, you know, night one power play one for the Winnipeg Jets. That's a nice promotion for Nikolai Ehlers. It's the kind of opportunity we've talked about for a really long time. And, you know, had Blake Wheeler not been in the lineup, you might say, okay, well, he's just a placeholder in some sort of capacity there. But it was the same during the day's practices as well, when those four guys, plus Mikey Isamont, were the number one power play unit. Isamont, in his case, I think is a clear placeholder for somebody like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's going to be playing down the middle and be looking for those deflections like Isamont scored off of Kyle Connor's point shot. That's pretty clear. But with that group, that Ehlers promotion, um, maintaining Pierre-Luc Dubois, because we were asking each other last week, well, who comes off if Ehlers comes on? That's number one. The other thing that, you know, I we just got a quick opportunity to look at, they practiced it only a little bit yesterday before the game, and that's all the special teams practice that we've had is that they spent particular time on their breakouts and um, that's developing a little bit of structure where there is uh, a skater that sort of flies his own and is hanging out at around the blue line for a stretch pass opportunity. And you saw Mikey Simon actually fumble one of those passes or what have you. That's a unit sort of figuring itself out. It's just nice to know that there's uh, there's a little bit of planning and structure going with those guys as well. You know, and then there's the other group that includes Blake Wheeler and Adam Lowry, Cole Perfetti, um, Billy Hanela was on it, Daniel Pionk, defense. Um, one of the things that I sort of wondered aloud yesterday that if that is the if that is the two group, and essentially we're just swapping out Dubois for AC Mont, assuming that he's going to be a member of the Manitoba Moose. Um, who's the who's the trigger man on that PP two? Yeah, you know what the way that they drew it up. Um, it might be Blake Wheeler in the middle. Uh, just the way that they were assembling things, you know, we're used to seeing Blake Wheeler run things off of the wing, off the half wall. Well, go to the other end of the ice. Well, it was left-handed Cole Perfetti, who was doing most of the setup and most of the playmaking with Wheeler in the in the center slot, Lowry down low, and the two-point men for options as well. So in a camp context, I look for Cole Perfetti and Billy Hanel to demonstrate exactly the same kind of chemistry they did with the Manitoba Moose last year. Those two could really take things over. They know the reads that they're making. Hanel is so aggressive, he jumps into the offensive zone, and you need somebody who's going to read that and time things right. Um, in an NHL perspective moving forward, if Hanel doesn't make that team, then you have Nate Schmidt as well, who is a passing shooting option, perhaps to pair with Pionk uh, as a two-defenseman version of that unit. But that's a great question because you don't have the shooting capability of a Kyle Connor, even of a Nikolai Ehlers, a Josh Morrissey on that on that unit. And you're looking for plays to be made and puck movement to to sort of seal the day. It might end up being Cole Perfetti looking off somebody in the middle and taking the shot from that half wall, um, you know, coming in off the wing. 
I, I do think that Cole Perfetti certainly has the tools to really excel in the power play. I mean, at some point, I expect Cole Perfetti to be a mainstay on the number one unit of the Jet power play, and who knows at what point that will happen. Um, but it is an interesting theory about potentially having Blake more in the middle uh, because that certainly would allow Perfetti to be um, you know, a very impactful player when it comes to dishing and setting guys up, which is probably the best club that he has in his bag. Murata Tesh is with us. With us. Uh, great Jets stock watch piece in today's Athletic. And right at the top of the risers, it's Saku Menelainen, who was back out there yesterday. I thought it was very important to note about how much shorthanded time he got killing penalties. Blake Wheeler was out there killing penalties too, which was interesting. But in particular, Manalainen, I mean, how much has he improved his stock within the organization over the first week of camp, Murad? And um, how do you see things going for him through the rest of camp? Yeah, I mean, on one hand, there has to be a reason that Winnipeg signed him. There had to be a story that leads to them identifying this as a player. On the other hand, he was a complete outsider before this all began. He doesn't have the track record. He doesn't have the relationships. He doesn't have, um, you know, even a, a much of an NHL pedigree because he went back to Finland and the KHL and um, played for Jokerit and Karpat, I believe, in, in Finland. So there's a situation where we didn't really know a lot about the player. Day one, day one, he was a, a force in terms of showing up big, strong, fast, mobile, all the things that you want from a fourth line type player. He, Kevin Stenland, Mikey Isamont were a line and they can really badger anybody. Even at the NHL level, they were uh, a real pain to play against. It was easy to imagine them getting zone time in certain contexts against even good players. You know, you wonder about the offense, you wonder about all that sort of stuff, but that's a really competitive group. I think that puts pressure on a Dominic Toninato type for a job on this team or perhaps puts pressure and, you know, provides a veteran opportunity because Manalainen, I believe, is 28 and Stenland is 26, um, that they could be veteran 13 forward type options as well. To see Manalainen forecheck hard, turn pucks over in the drills in camp and then have a little toe drag moment, go for the top glove last night to do two minutes of penalty killing. You know, he's a guy that's clearly caught the eye of the coaching staff and all of us who've been observing camp. He's been somebody I've written about a lot. There is a guy who's played himself into the conversation. Well, and and, uh, and moving on down the list, Mikey Esamont, who we just mentioned, was the guy that got the placeholder role for Pierre-Luc Dubois. You know, had a very strong season in the American Hockey League last year, Murad. And no, while I don't expect him to be on the roster at the beginning of the uh, uh, of the season, I think he's done enough. And if he can continue the play that he has to open up some eyes, he could certainly be near the top of the list for a call-up, depending on the players that are out. And I don't rule out the fact, I mean, he's got a little bit of offensive pop, but certainly can skate. He's a pain in the ass. I would imagine at some point this year, he could be an option for a bottom six role with the Winnipeg Jets, depending on how things go health-wise. I think that's completely realistic. I mean, at the AHL level, he can produce points as well in a sort of a middle six impact role. And he had his best offensive year at the AHL level last year. There's a little bit of that there. At the NHL level, I sort of think of guys a little bit like Matthew Perot, though without the just fine touch uh, that Perot had, he would have a little bit more speed and he would certainly have that motor that doesn't quit. You you really get a sense from this guy that he's not going to quit on any play. And that extends shifts in the offensive zone. It, it knocks down that one extra puck. It, you know, it adds one extra hit. It creates one extra turnover. And those are things you like from guys in bottom six roles who aren't necessarily going to star in, in the league. That helps put the puck in good situations. 
Um, I guess one NHL game last year, he's, you know, I would think he was a reasonable candidate to at least double that this season and move forward. Um, he's not, if he had the wheels of a Brandon Tanev, we'd be talking about a really, really special player to add to that third line, let's say, and you can pencil him in already. What he's really looking for is an opportunity, I think, at this stage. And if he gets that, I think he'll show that you can count on him to play that competitive nature of hockey um, night in, night out, shift in, shift out. It's been really fun to watch him compete at camp. Um, Marat, listen, I think we know the opportunity's there. The spot is there for Cole Perfetti. That was never in doubt. Uh, but with that comes, I think, a lot of pressure for a young player to perform and produce in what is all in all likelihood a top six role. What have you thought of Cole's camp and his performance in the preseason so far? You know, it's been so interesting because I've found myself impressed by him in ways I didn't expect to be impressed by him. You know, there are plays that he can make where he slows the game down. He's a tremendous playmaker. He can also be the a first shot option and take the puck to the net and, and make his shots. These are the things that were his bread and butter at the AHL level. And you started to see that just a little bit at the NHL level last year. Okay, great. There's a part of me that wants to just show so much empathy for this, this player who was hurt partway through last season, who's played in all sorts of leagues over the last couple of years. He's just 20 years old. Let's not, you know, let's not ask for too big of a ceiling. Just stay healthy, cement your roster spot and all's well. But then you see in some of the scrimmages where he's going up against a Mark Scheifele or the other veterans at the NHL level, and at the offensive blue line, he's able to track back, back check on a puck, win that puck, use his body to protect it from a bigger player like Shifley and then get the cycle going again. It creates a chance for Blake Wheeler and the defensive side of the puck um, just at that blue line as well. He's also able to take hits to make plays and get the puck going in the other direction. I think we've always known that this player could contribute, you know, when, when all goes well, when the development continues, he's still just 20 years old. We're all seeing him as a potential top six, perhaps a first line player with top power play time. The skills are there. But if he can win those battles and move the puck in the right direction as well, he might be able to have an impact on puck possession, on what zone the game gets played in that I didn't necessarily know or feel sure about in the past. I'm leaning really, really big on a few key battles in camp so far. But there's there's dimension to his game, and you know, to use a word that probably I, I don't even understand the full value of, but there's dimension to his game that nest that I think is just so exciting for almost surprising reasons right now. Yeah, and just before we talk about the blue line, um, obviously Daniel Torgerson was a star last night. I mean, beautiful finish on that second goal. I mean, he had to. We joked that he was halfway to the Hanu Yarvinpa exhibition game, four-goal game. Um, but he and Henry Nikonen are really interesting players. I mean, they came by. We got a chance last year. We got a chance to see them a little bit at the end of the season yeah. with the Manitoba Moose. Um, what have you thought about those two players still very young? I mean, sometimes these guys come in and people don't understand or don't realize how young they are. Ferguson's just a 20 year old. Um, again, I think these guys are going to be moose to start off the season, but how much, uh, in your opinion, have either of those players improved their stock within the organization and thoughts of an NHL future in addition to important AHL minutes this year? Yeah, it's one of those situations where the first-round talents get the hype, but there are other talents in the Winnipeg Jets pipeline. Progerson had had a couple of injury situations over the past couple of years, but remember, he was 41st overall in the Cole Perfetti draft year, and there's a reason that they took him that high in the second round, and there's an offensive ability and an offensive instinct there that goes along with his power-forward type style. The 
the thing that I'll actually, I want to say about him, it reminds me of something Nate Schmidt just told us a second ago. He says, you know, about a week into camp, you sometimes see those young players realize how hard this is to do every day and they run out of gas a little bit. Well, I think Daniel Torgerson has been the exact opposite. I have notes about him on day one being like, okay, yeah, certain moose, he's going to be a moose for sure. Um, you know, I, I'm looking for him to impact the play in some way. It's day one, of course, let's, let's be realistic. But every single day of camp, he's gotten a little bit better. And um, every single day of camp, I think he's been one of those players that's taken, day, sorry, I almost said Dave Lowry, Rick Bonus's lessons um, forward. And there's one forechecking drill I can remember in particular where Rick Bonus interrupted on Torgerson's route and turned it into a teaching session for everybody. For the rest of the day, Torgerson was a force in turning pucks over um, in the scrimmage, in the drills as well. And to see him get rewarded, he scored a nice goal set off by Evan Pole in one of the scrimmages. And then two goals yesterday, a post yesterday, he was all over it. Um, this isn't the guy who's about to make the NHL, of course. It's just a nice, nice look to see, to remind folks that there's a second wave of prospects that you know may project to have NHL futures in them someday as well. Henry Nickenden, I haven't seen as much from, but those two have played a lot together, and certainly the size and uh, you know the projected forechecking ability would be there too. Now, Marat, let's get to the blue line. I mean, we spoke all summer about how crowded it was. Will there be a move made to open up a spot for another young defenseman that hasn't happened yet, which has made the competition for that sixth spot even, I think, more interesting? Um, I'll just ask you straight up, has Billy Hanel had done enough so far through camp and in his performance in the preseason to help his cause for that sixth spot, or has he been falling behind in the race? You know, Billy Hanel has been a mixed bag for me, and I really just think this is a player that needs to build some confidence at this stage. You know, under pressure, those types of first passes that he makes are excellent. You know, they're... There are defensemen in this camp who, uh, under a certain amount of forechecking pressure, they're likely to put it off the glass and out, or that pass is going to be a little bit less crisp. Billy Hanela, you pressure him and things go well. But there have been a few moments where he's had time, and he's had time to lead a breakout or sort of decide in advance what play he's going to make, where things get a little bit clumsier. And to me, that seems like a confidence thing. It's a timing thing, a rhythm thing. And when you see Ville Hanela dump pucks, um, you know, in the middle of a breakout, just a clean giveaway to somebody, that just doesn't seem like him playing at his best, the best version of what he does well. At the same time, he gets his goal yesterday. There are productive plays that he makes. I just think that for him to give himself a realistic shot at being the young guy that takes a top six job, we need to see 100% of what he does well a little bit more often. And, of course, there's four preseason games left. He is a really cerebral player. There's a chance that all those rhythmic things come into place and snap into place for him. But I'm actually more inclined today to say give this guy until Christmas in the AHL than I was before camp began. And you know I'm a fan of the player and I'm a fan of puck movers. So the, the, the lack of confidence and precision in some of those moments make me think that you know, he's fallen a little bit behind Dylan Sandberg uh, as the most likely guy to take that spot. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you. And I mean, it's certainly, listen, it was nice that he scored that goal. I mean, that'll be a bit of a confidence builder. But um, that was also later on in the game after you mentioned, you know, a turnover and just a few things that didn't seem like he was clicking at, um, at well, with maximum confidence right now. And that's difficult. And then on top of it all, 
of course, we've talked about the waiver eligibility for other players as opposed to Billy Hanel. And I think at least that right now, that sort of seems the way the tea leaves are reading. Logan Stanley's in a different situation. He played in the first game. I'm not sure how much we want to take from that, uh, but did not have a great game. Um, how much of a dogfight is Logan in right now for playing time, even if he is technically on the roster once they get down to 23? I think we're getting to the point where he just has to round out into the best version of himself to be sure that he's one of the top six defensemen. If his camp continues how it's gone, where whether it's drills or that first half of the game against Edmonton and the puck's a little bit of a hand grenade under under forechecking pressure, he's going to play himself into a situation where Dylan Sandberg can take his minutes from him and perhaps he's looking at the press box from time to time. And we did see just a little bit of that at the tail end of last season. Um, you know, I think that what would be ideal is that one of these guys, Stanley, Sandberg, Hainala, somebody steps forward and just makes the statement night in, night out, day in, day out here at camp that, you know, those passes are crisp. The physicality is there. They're jumping up. They're also tracking back all of the things, whatever the things are that Rick Bonus is asking of them. But the real, the real truth is there isn't the clear cut answer with either of these players right now. Whoever gets that job in the top six, we're going to need to show some patience with because there's going to be growing pains. And to my way of thinking, the way that the puck has sort of fought Logan Stanley so far, if that continues, I I have Dylan Sandberg above him as well. And even though he hasn't had a perfect camp, he's had a good one and is probably the guy most likely from where I sit to take that job. Now, I, I want to ask you about Neil Pion. Can you mention him in the piece as well? Because, I mean, this is a very different situation. He is going to be on the team. He's going to, in all likelihood, be an important top four player. But he's also a guy that I think the Winnipeg Jets as a team need a big, big bounce back season. I mean, the Neil Pionk we saw last season struggled as opposed to the Neil Pionk we saw the previous year as well as earlier on. Um, what do you make of Pionk's situation, his camp so far, and where he's at a couple of weeks before things start to count for real? Yeah, I mean, to, to backtrack, he had two straight years as Winnipeg's best defenseman, and it looked like the Jets had stolen a top-four defenseman from New York, who the Rangers mostly played on their third pair, and uh, it looked like that Truba trade was, oh my goodness, 100% slam dunk in Winnipeg's favor for a little bit. And I don't know if it's specifically the injury-slash-suspension situation of, I think it was last November or December, um, I think he took a knee to the head and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if that's the moment at which you say, Neil Pionk's, you know, assertiveness or his excellence kind of uh, diminished a little bit through the rest of the season. But there is a sense that, you know, in the back half of that season, his reads weren't as confident. His uh, offensive rushes weren't as impactful. His physicality wasn't as impactful either. All the things that you look for for his best version of his game. And I think that his job is assured. He's capable. He'll help the team. But a bounce back to his top form is something that you're really looking for if you want to believe in jet success. And whereas last year at this time, all my notepads are full of Josh Morrissey did this, Josh Morrissey did that. He's so explosive. This is, this is a a resurgent season. And I remember writing a whole column about that. You know, Pionk in his case, hasn't shown that same uh, wow or, or, you know, that pop or whatever else it's going to be that at least to my unprofessional non-scout eyes, I don't see that player um, taking an enormous leap forward. Maybe he's just not wired that same way. Maybe he is a guy that's going to improve a little bit every day and then arrive by, you know, October 14th, ready to go at his best. But I'm just not sure of it quite yet. 
Um, right now, unfortunately, Brad Lambert's been out for the last few days. I know he's returned to practice today. Um, I thought he looked really good in the first few days. I mean, he's got that speed and he was able to make a few impactful plays, you know, through scrimmaging. Um, just thoughts on Chaz Lucius and Brad Lambert. I mean, the two first rounders. And do you have any more thoughts on where Lambert might most likely end up this season playing, assuming that at some point he'll be released from the big club and have the options of going to the Western Hockey League or the American Hockey League? Yeah, you know what? Right before I connected uh, the the first time, I had watched a little bit of Lambert on the ice. And that skating that everybody says is special. I mean, it's special. It's it's really quite something. And and I think that when you have, you know, whether it's that, whether it's enormous size, whether it's, you know, a crazy shot, whatever it is, when something in the toolkit is that exceptional, even compared to the, the professionals and the NHL players, you're always going to be able to stand out in a certain way and at, on days like this. And the guy was flying. Um, he looks like he could be an offensive dynamo at, at some point. I think where, you know, he'll need to learn is, you know, the professional nature of the game and, um, you know, playing night in, night out, commitment to the defensive side of things, uh, you know, choosing when all, all of those sorts of things that young players go through and especially ones that were so highly touted as he, as he was and then had a little bit of a tough year last year. I see him again. I think the place for him to learn the most and become the best is with the Manitoba Moose this season. Uh, and we've, we've seen 19-year-olds go to the Moose and have tremendous success. I would hope for the same thing for Chaz Lucius, who, you know, he doesn't have skating that is, you know, better than a lot of these NHL guys necessarily, but he looks completely in line with what you'd expect at his stage at 19 years old, where when he does get into positions and he does get a little bit of an offensive cycle going, you know, there are things that he does that are special. The speed that he takes the puck to the net, the assertiveness, the uh, the the way that he reads plays and then chooses the most dangerous option so quickly. I mean, you can see a really high-end offensive brain there. And in both guys' case, I really hope that they go to the AHL and I hope that they get big minutes and see the ups, see the downs, you know, get counted on. Uh, have nights where they're not the best player, have nights where they are, you know, amongst the best players, all of that sort of stuff. I think it would be an exciting time for Manitoba. Murata Tesh of The Athletic with us live from the Iceplex as the Jets training camp continues. Jets in Montreal tomorrow night. Pierre-Luc Dubois leading a younger roster into that game. And then the team's back at home Saturday night with the Dale Howardchuck statue unveiling before the Saturday night game. Where's Mikhail Burden? Uh, couldn't help but notice he wasn't on either of the groups today. We've talked about the fact that it is crowded. I kind of have the feeling that Holm and um, and uh, the Finn are going to be the guys with the moose that they'd like to see playing the more. Uh, have we did, have they said anything about that? Uh, what's going on? You know, that's a great question. And there's a chance that as of this moment, the next media sessions have begun and maybe a coach has spoken to that. There's even a chance, though, it seems unlikely that maybe there was some kind of typo when he was out there or I, I I'm not I'm not sure um in that in that second group or what have you I only caught a few minutes of it and um whether whatever the situation is whether it's injury whether it's just a rotation whatever whatever's going on I think the truth is he has not been as good as his competition so far at camp and uh, again if I'm not a scout I'm definitely not a goalie scout but every now and again you call some things right we identified Laurent Brassois as having a strong season a couple of years ago um, and Burden, I don't think is, I don't think is there. If you're looking for a standout, it's Oscari Salmin and so far amongst those young guys, which could create a bit of a three headed goalie monster in Manitoba, or maybe, 
like I would not have considered Mikhail Burden as a, an ECHL goaltender. And, you know, does he, I, I don't know what his future is right now. And it's possible I'm completely overstating the degree to which the two other guys have passed him. But it's something that I'd be a little bit concerned about right now. Well, for sure. And I mean, just thinking back to last season, I mean, he uh, listen. there was always the highlights of Burden. I mean, with some of the crazy things that he does, but uh, he didn't stop enough pucks, um, you know, as far as, you know, uh, earlier on. And I'm not sure that they have the confidence that that is going to be a guy for them in the National Hockey League in the future. And, you know, every start and every minute of playing time is valuable when you're trying to develop goaltenders um, the way the Jets did with Connor Hellebuck. So that'll certainly be something that we'll be paying attention. Hey, before we go, Marat, fantasy drafts are coming up. Everyone's got uh, getting ready to pick their players. Uh, just give a quick plug. I really enjoyed the uh, the fantasy preview that you and some of the other athletic staffers did, uh, getting people ready with big questions about each team. Yeah, I've been quietly a fantasy hockey fan for uh, for a really long time. I, I don't play any big cash buyouts or any of that sort of stuff, just pride sort of things. But I am an obsessive nerd. And it, when you have an, a, ch- a chance as an obsessive nerd to ask a writer who's you know focused on every NHL team, the biggest fantasy question facing that team, you know, who's going to be counted on to, to step forward and goal, what the power play units are going to be like, um, what various combinations we've seen at camp. Um, what the coaches have been saying, all the clues that we can take that might give a little bit of, of a better sense of who the breakout players are, who might not be able to replicate last year. I mean, that was kid in a candy shop stuff for me. So all I had to do is, you know, send 32 questions to, um, I guess, 31 questions. One was for me, but to 31 people who knew way more about those teams than I do and, and sort of reap the rewards. So it was fun to get a fantasy hockey article up at, uh, at The Athletic and sort of just broaden kind of what I do a little bit, too. And as far as the Jets go, I mean, I don't know how you were able to just nail it down to one because I could pretty much, I mean, with a new head coach and everything that's going on into the season, I mean, there's a number of different angles, but people should definitely check it out. It's a great read, definitely, if you're preparing for a draft over the course of the next week or so. Murat, appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. Hat looks great on you, by the way. And uh, we'll look forward to doing this again next uh, next week. Thanks so much, and we'll see you at the rink. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, guys. Good stuff. There's Murata Tesh. As I mentioned, the uh, camp risers and fallers, winners and losers, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, of course, the fantasy preview all there at The Athletic. Subscribe today. All right. Ted Wyman's coming up in a few minutes, and we'll get into the Bombers. And speaking of the Bombers, game day Friday night. Princess Auto tailgate zone will be the place to be before the game. Come early. Enjoy $5 beers. 350 hot dogs and pop DJ finesse spinning. Uh, as I said, could not tell you, I, I, I can't remember a better atmosphere before a bomber game than out there at the princess auto tailgate zone before the banjo bowl. Hopefully with a nice day and a Friday night game with the riders back in town, we can do it all again. Of course, princess auto proud sponsor of the bombers and the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Check them out at one of two Winnipeg locations, Panit Road and Portage Avenue West, or shop online 24-7-365 at princessauto.com. Ken Weeb's going to join us tomorrow on the show. And of course, when we think of Ken, we think of the most well-hydrated member of the Winnipeg media. And when we're talking hydration and water services in Winnipeg and Manitoba, we've thought of Culligan Water, family-owned for over 65 years. 
taking care of Manitobans water needs. They've got it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems and drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services and commercial and industrial water products and solutions. For whatever your water needs are for your family or business, pop down and see them at 1200 Sargent Avenue. You can give them a call at 694-5180 or check out all their products and services available online at drinkculligan.com. And uh, Ted Wyman's coming up in just a couple minutes. We'll get the latest on the Bombers as he just comes home from practice. But speaking of that game on the weekend, if you haven't tried the CC and Ginger, the new Canadian club and ginger ale ready to drink premix cocktail, the Bomber game might be a great time to do it. And we've got some Jim Beam social passes, which will get you into the game and get you a complimentary CC and Ginger to give away on tomorrow's show as well. So make sure to join us. And of course, you can grab the great taste of Canada's favorite whiskey, Canadian club, Throughout IG Fields is the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And hey, CFL is back on the weekend, but tomorrow we kick off NFL Week 4. Bengals and Dolphins should be a great matchup, and you can watch every NFL game on the big screens at Boston Pizza, enjoying delicious BP Pizza flights, and ice-cold Bud Draft on special for 5 bucks every game. And you can enter to win one of two grand prize trips for two for an NFL weekend in Vegas, including airfare, hotel, NFL game tickets, and a bonus NHL game. First trip, November 11th to 13th, Raiders Colts and the Golden Knights and Blues on Saturday night. Second trip is New Year's Eve weekend with the Raiders and Niners going at it and Knights and Predators on New Year's Eve. Watch the NFL and enter to win in any Winnipeg, Selkirk, Steinbach, Morden, and Portage. Boston Pizza location. All right, let's talk some Bombers. Big game as they look to uh, erase the miserable way they went into the bye week, hosting the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, where they most recently thumped by 34 at home earlier this month. And Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun joins us right now. Teddy, what's going on? How are you? Doing pretty well, Huss. Uh, just got back from the Blue Bombers closed practice, which I didn't get to cover, but I uh, did uh, talk to some players, and then I rushed back so that I could be on my favorite podcast. Appreciate you, as always, Teddy. Um, as it was such a weird way the Bombers went into the bye. I don't think anybody saw that coming. I mean, getting sliced and diced by Dane Evans, coming back into the game, and then having Hamilton do what the Bombers have consistently done, put together clock-eating extended fourth-quarter drives to ice games. Uh, what was the atmosphere around the team coming back off the bye week, knowing the last time they were out there, they did not look like the championship team playing up to the standard that they've set so high? Very businesslike us, and could I dare say pissed off, at least on the defensive side of the football. There was no question that they didn't like getting lit up like that. They didn't feel like they were set up properly. There was definitely some issues in the communication and maybe the chemistry. And honestly, I talked to Brandon Alexander about it today. He was one of the new guys in there. He hadn't played all season. He comes in, and so, really, you know, he's a very good player. But he's coming in new. You've got Jamal Parker, who's pretty new on the corner. Evan Holm, who's uh, very new, making his first start at halfback. You've got, uh, you know, not the starters at uh, Will Will linebacker. 
And then you had Jackson Jeffcoat getting injured as well. So not the starter at one of the defensive end positions. And that's a lot of players to replace. And I did feel like there were some issues with that. And really, the Tiger Cats played a great game. There's no doubt about it. Dane Evans was absolutely outstanding. And they picked that Blue Bomber defense apart. And, you know, there's not a single guy in there that's uh, happy about that. They're very, you know, you can learn something from a loss like that. There's no doubt. But there, there was a lot of guys that were pretty unhappy that they got lit up like that. And they feel like they have this great opportunity in front of them because they had a bye to rest up. And they come back and they're going against their arch rival riders in a great atmosphere at home. And they feel like everybody should be energized and, and ready to put on a performance much more like the Blue Bombers. Uh, still no Greg Ellingson at practice. What are we hearing about his status right now? And uh, maybe run down some of the other guys that were MIA when the team got back on the practice field. Well, it's a long list right now, to be honest. Uh, um, you know, still, a, there wasn't a lot of returning action after the uh, after the bye week. But Ellingson's uh, obviously got something that's pretty nagging, and he's not looking like he's ready to start practicing. He's there every day. He's walking. He's in a... Uh, you know, just wearing a track suit. He's not in uh, any crutches or walking boot or anything like that. It's just something that's nagging and they want to get him right. I think the receiving core, especially with Dalton Schoen playing the way he has, has made that transition pretty easy given that, um, you know, they're missing the guy who was expected to be their top player. But I, I don't ever, I've not seen a time this year, except for maybe the one Edmonton game where the Bombers uh, receiving core looked um, like it wasn't top-notch. It's just been player after player that's come in and done a great job. The one that's been really interesting, I mean, Jeff Coat hasn't practiced this week. I don't think he's going to play. It looks like it'll be Cedric Wilcots at defensive end. The one that's really interesting from this week is that Stanley Bryant hasn't practiced. Not once the uh, three-time most outstanding offensive lineman in the CFL. He has not ever once missed a game due to injury uh, as a member of the Blue Bombers. And uh, if he should miss it, it would be his first. He did miss a game last year when the team sat him out in Montreal after they had clinched, and that broke a long streak for him. But um, what's been interesting this week is that uh, they moved Jeff Gray, the Uni University of Manitoba Bison's product, a former NFL prospect, over to play left tackle, which is the position Stanley Bryan has played in almost every game for six years. And then uh, Michael Couture was filling in at left guard and Chris Kolonkowski came in to play center. And I don't know. I'm not going to be the guy that says I understand how Michael Shea works or if he's just messing yeah. with us or if Stanley really is going to play tomorrow or on, on Friday. I honestly do not know. I won't know until we see the roster. They're very good at keeping these things under wraps. But it sure looks like they've made preparations to, uh, to have this uh, different kind of lineup should Stanley be out. And that could be a really big deal because, you know, now Jeff Gray is going to be charged with protecting Zach Caleros instead of the three-time most outstanding offensive lineman in the CFL. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And we almost take for granted the greatness of Stanley Bryant and just how consistent he's been, how reliable he's been for so long. And make no mistake about it, if he wasn't going to be in the game, that would be a major, major challenge for the Bomber O-line going against a pretty good front on the defense for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um the loss of Jeff Coates always impactful. I mean, he and Willie, I mean, you think back to just the, how they terrorized the riders in the banjo bowl could be significant, especially considering, I think in this game, they're going to need to get to Cody Fajardo because Cody for the first time all season long, it looks like is going to have a full complement of a pretty talented receiving core all together in the same game, Ted. 
Well, and probably the best offensive line that they put on the field in, uh, you know, maybe not the entire season, but since early on in the season, if Dan Clark is back in the lineup. So um, that would be a big difference for the Riders. They've dealt with that all year, including in the games where they played the Bombers, where they just didn't have a particularly strong offensive line. And they certainly, especially last game, did not have much at all of their regular receiving core with Duke Williams out and uh, Kean Schaefer-Baker uh, was ill that day and didn't play. Um, and, and, you know, of course, the Bombers rolled to a 54, uh, you know, was a 54-20 victory. And, it, it, you know, there was a lot of reasons for that. You know, you, you could see the Bombers were the better team. They still are the better team. I mean, by Dave, or, uh, Craig Dickinson's own uh, admission, the Riders aren't very good right now. The Blue Bombers should come out and, and control them and win. But there are a few signs there, you know, with the Bombers battling a few injuries, Coming off a game in which they looked very vulnerable, they were picked apart by uh, by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They were beaten all over the field. You know, there's that little window of hope, I think, for the Rough Riders, and they've got a little bit stronger lineup than they did the last time they played Winnipeg. So it'll be very interesting to see how they handle this. Um, again, I you know, you look at it two ways when a team like Winnipeg loses the way they did. To get beaten by or to give up 48 points was a real shocker. Not a single one of us expected that. They've been the best team in the league at preventing points for quite some time and they didn't look like it in that game but it so you could say that's a nice wake-up call for the bombers it's a good time to lose it it's not the playoffs you're coming back after a bye you got a good future going forward with the rest of the season you can also look at it from the standpoint of the rest of the league saying well look we can beat those guys you know not only can we beat them but we can dominate them and you know you have to think that hope is something that's good in the you know in terms of fueling the Rough Riders this week. Well, I gotta hope that uh, the Bombers are looking to make their own statement that that was uh, they get a mulligan for the game in Hamilton and they are that team that uh, pounded the Riders a few weeks back in the Banjo Bowl and of course won a very tight Labor Day Classic against the Green Riders. Ted Wyman from the Winnipeg Sun is with us. Ted, I gotta ask you about a huge CFL story not involving the Bombers or Riders, but the Calgary Stampeders. Jake yeah. Mayer gets the extension. He is the quarterback of the future, but he's also the quarterback of the now. Where does that leave Bo Levi Mitchell? And as I talked about this earlier today with Dustin Nielsen on the lock shop, where do you think Bo takes his first snap next season? GSN panel? <laughs> you think he's done? No, I don't. I'm joking. I truly am joking. I, he'd be he'd be great on the panel well, he's, at he's some in his point. Future. But... I'm not. You know, I'm not joking about that part. Yeah. I think it is in his future. I think he wants to get into broadcasting. He was part of it during the Great Cup last year. He's done a podcast with Ben Hebert, the curler. He's got. You know, he's. It's something he's interested in, and you know, I do see that coming down the road. But is he done now? Well, I don't think so, but he did not play well this year. I mean, he really wasn't playing well, and it was one of the reasons why the Calgary Stampeders were losing football games. And it was not an easy decision for Dave Dickinson and John Huffnagel to say, you know what, we're going to have to take a future Hall of Famer who still wants to play and can still, you know, be somewhat effective and tell him he's not our guy anymore because this other guy is just doing a better job of running the offense. And if you're looking at it right now, we saw Jake Mayer's first game, which was here in Winnipeg, and he played very, very well. The Bombers barely eked out a win in that game. Jake Mayer had big yards. He uh, he threw the ball extremely well, and he looked like a, a real leader and, and a winner. 
and he has looked like that ever since. And it's that was the game. Uh, that was the game. If I'm not mistaken, he actually led them back late in the fourth quarter into a winning position, and Paredes came up short on that field goal. That was not like a 55 yarder. It was. Um, I mean, he, he basically did that. And I think, if I recall correctly, didn't he go like 15 of 16 in the first half of that game? He had like one incompletion. So that one was last season, but then this year he also uh, came in in the second game here in Winnipeg, and his throws. Again, we're really, really good. Uh, he had that big, long touchdown pass, uh, which was the play when Demario Houston got hurt. And, you know, I just I, I just remember him looking. I, I thought that offense looked much more cohesive with Jake Mayer at the controls, and I think it has since then. The Calgary Stampeders are a threat to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This is a team that could, uh, you know, derail Winnipeg's Grey Cup hopes pretty quickly if they meet in the West Final and the Bombers aren't completely sharp because I do think the one thing that wasn't working for them very well earlier in the year was that their quarterbacking was just not very good. Bully by Mitchell was not getting it done. So just to go back to your original question, I don't think he's done. I think there's going to be quite a few teams that would be interested in him. We've already heard Saskatchewan right off the bat. If the riders decide to move on from Cody Fajardo, if Nathan Rourke goes to the NFL, there's the BC lions could be an option. I don't think anything's settled in Montreal. I don't know. I mean, we saw one great game from Dane Evans, but is anything really settled there in Toronto? What about Edmonton? I know they just signed Cornelius, and I think he's got a roster bonus, but, I mean, they had Arbuckle signed as well. Um, Like, how would that be? I mean, we always talk about the Battle of Alberta between the Flames and Oilers. (laughs) If all of a sudden Bo Levi Mitchell was playing for Chris Jones in Edmonton or Saskatchewan, They'd have to play the old Rod Peterson clip. Shut your mouth, Bo, from that infamous call back in the day, bringing him back. Either way, I think the smart money probably would be an Eastern team. But for the storylines and the people that cover the league like us, staying in the West in one of Saskatchewan or Edmonton, to me, would be an absolute dream scenario for us heading into next year. And I haven't even seen anything ruled out that he could conceivably be moved this year before the deadline. I mean, I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. It wouldn't it wouldn't make sense. Hey, man, you know, would the could the Winnipeg Blue Bombers use a, a really experienced backup? You know, uh, for insurance with Zach Clarence, of course they could, but they couldn't afford to yeah. bring in a guy with that kind of salary. And why would Calgary do that? That would be crazy. So I don't see why they'd do that for any team in the West. Um, you know, maybe the one that could be possible is that maybe if, if, if there was a future for him at Edmonton, you might do that because the Elks are not going to make the playoffs most likely. But yeah, I do think there's lots of options still there for him, but he's going to have to work on his game. He's going to have to be better than he was this year. He simply did not play very well. And that's the reason why he is not currently the quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders. I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision, but when you've got somebody that you really believe is going to make you better, that's what you're going with. What uh, just quickly as we get out? What did you make of the uh, the win by the Stamps last week over BC? I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about it. They hadn't beat a team over 500 yet this year. Um, I guess at that point, um, they were 0 5 against the Bombers and Lions. What does that victory do for Calgary um, a- a- in the landscape of this race in the West, which clearly has arguably the top three teams in the CFL all on this side of the country? Well, it's a really weird race because BC sitting there at nine and four and looking like, well, if they just win a few games, they could be a contender. But I've seen them lose a couple of games where they look just terrible. And that Calgary game was one of them. It just, you know, they're just completely night and day. When Nathan Rourke was there, the sky was the limit for the BC Lions. But with uh, Vernon Adams, I'm not sure that it's uh, 
that the ceiling is quite so high. Um, and they're, you know, they look really hot and cold. So I don't really see a ton um, of threat to Winnipeg from the BC Lions at this point, unless maybe Nathan Rourke comes back. But Calgary, again, you know, they lose at home. That one seemed a little bit strange. Didn't expect them to lose that game. Then they come back and they play a really strong game and they win it. So, you know, they, to me, I, honestly, it's to me, there's three teams in this league right now that are far and away um, the most likely to win the Grey Cup, and that is the Bombers, the Stampeders, and the Toronto Argonauts, because the Argonauts are one win away from being there pretty much, you know, already, and uh, and they've got a pretty good team. So, you know, everyone else is looking up at those three teams, and I think Calgary has to continue to prove that they're going to be good enough to maybe take down Winnipeg in a West final, but... Um, you know, we've seen some things that are promising from their standpoint. Well, Calgary does make me nervous. I mean, from a Bomber fan's perspective, I mean, it's so hard to beat a team four times in a season. And the Bombers have won three of their three matchups, but they've all been tight and really could have easily gone with a couple of plays different uh, the other way. That being said, Bombers always seem to find a way to win in the big game. Ted Wyman's with us. Teddy, before we go, I can't have you on coming out of last weekend without touching on a quickly, a little bit of curling. All right. Manitoba teams are rolling. Our guy, and you know what? I had such a great time out of Princess Auto earlier in the month um, as they were sort of introducing their sponsored teams. Reed Carruthers and Jen Jones. Just saying, the WST pump uh, bump is feeling real good. Um, what a weekend for those teams. And I got to tell you, this new Matt Dunstone team, looks like it is going to be a serious contender in every event they play. I mean, uh, just a quick comment on uh, what's happening with Manitoba curling early in the season after an amazing weekend with 50K awards going to the Carruthers Rink and Jen Jones. Well, extremely promising if you're a fan of Manitoba curling. There's no doubt about it. I think Matt Dunstone coming back to Manitoba was a big deal for this uh, province because he's certainly a big up-and-comer. And, and Reed Carruthers said after the game when I talked to him that I think you're going to see a lot of games between Carruthers and Dunstone this year. And it's probably going to be, you know, 500 at the end, the way that they are going to compete. Uh, I, I was really impressed by Reed's team, to be honest. Uh, you know, him and Jason Gunlickson do have a history, but they really played well together. You know, they looked really good together in this case. It was good to see Reed back skipping. He didn't skip for a few years while Mike McEwen was handling those roles. And, you know, Gunner's got such a great, he does such a great job with the high heater, maybe as good as anybody in curling right now. And that, that can be really great for a third. So there Reed was, he was left with a lot of opportunities to make shots and he made them all day long and all weekend long. And they come away and win. And it wasn't just that they won that thing. They beat Cooey, they beat Gushu, they beat Dunstone to do it. I mean, that is a pretty big statement from the Carruthers team early on, and it's going to be a heck of a battle uh, in Manitoba alone to see who comes out um, as the champion. And, and honestly, really interesting on the women's side too because Jennifer Jones is the greatest women's curler of all time. Uh, maybe I have to say that arguably. I wouldn't. I would say it's true. But uh, you see uh, her come and say, I want to go and play with these young curlers kind of revitalize things for herself, help those young curlers to advance and and maybe become the great curlers themselves someday. And the, the joining up with the Zacharias team, you wondered, is that going to work right away, though? You know, that's a lot of chemistry that you have to build in. 
and a lot of humility by the players on the on the Zacharias team to each take a step back. You know, one player doesn't even get to play. Mackenzie Zacharias is throwing second stones. Um, and Jen Jones has come in and she's running the show. And they go out and they win. You know, that's a really interesting sign right off the bat that that team is going to be a force to be reckoned with on the women's side of things. So again, yeah, like you said, if you're a Manitoba curling fan, you got to be pretty encouraged by that start. And as both Jen and Reed said, it is only September, so don't get too excited, but it's yeah. a great start. Well, the one thing, I mean, and I had such a great time talking to both those teams. I mean, Reed and Gunner, I've spoken with them, you know, numerous times over the years. I mean, both just great dudes that you'd want to sit down and have a beer with. And by the way, Gunner, Gunner's been hitting the gym. I mean, he's got these, got those pipes. I mean, he looks like, um, remember when Mark Bergevin used to always wear shirts that were a little too small so he would look jacked? I mean, that's Gunner right now. I mean, he's looking amazing. But I have to say, the energy, and if you're a curling fan and you haven't missed this, go back. I believe the show was September 1st where we sat down with both of the teams. The energy and connection between Mackenzie Zacharias and Jennifer Jones when they were with me on the show was uh, it was really memorable. Um, you could see how the younger girls look up to Jen for everything that she's done. But Jen also, I think, is almost born again playing with this youthful energy of the Zacharias rink. And it's obviously clicked early. I mean, they were big underdogs against Carrie Anderson. I mean, I was following the cool bet lines. They were big underdogs, even to, down to the final four of that event. And um, they pull off a big win. I mean, just an amazing start for maybe the most interesting group in all of professional curling. Oh, it's an extremely interesting team. But, you know, there's a lot of intrigue right across the board in Canada in terms of curling this year because there are so many new teams. And that um, energy that you speak of is is you know, it's prevalent all over the place. I had a chance to talk to Mark Kennedy earlier today. It's actually an interview with him up on winnipegsun.com on my uh, curling show I call On the Rocks. little cheap plug there, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it was an in- interesting to talk to him because that's this has been an off-season where the curlers kind of wanted to take it on themselves to try to create a new atmosphere for all of these teams and in terms of how they, uh, how they operate, how they practice, how they build their teams in order to compete on the international level at the end of the season. Um, and, and with the Kennedy team, which is actually skipped by Brendan Botcher and also includes Brett Gallant and, uh, and Benny Hebert, it's, uh, you know, it was about making sure all four were in Alberta so that they could spend more time practicing than necessarily touring and playing. You know, more time working on that cohesiveness as a team. And a few other, Matt Dunstone said something similar. A few other teams have mentioned it. It really, there's a real energy all about Canadian curling and an excitement with these new teams. And I like the fact that these curlers have said, you know, we don't like the fact that Canada is not winning the gold medal at the Olympics. We don't like the fact that Canada is not winning the gold medal at the, at the men's and women's worlds. We want to beat Nicholas Adin and Bruce Mowat. We're going to do what we think it takes to get to that point. I think that makes it a really intriguing year which is, isn't always that case when you're coming right out of uh, Olympic quadrennial. Teddy, this is always a blast having you on the program. Thanks so much for doing this. And I'm looking forward to talking a little more curling with you and I always love the On the Rocks uh, piece as well. Um, just quickly back to the Bombers for a minute. Tee people up on what they'll find in the Winnipeg Sun heading into the uh, third and final regular season meeting between the Bombers and the Riders. Yeah, I talked uh, to a few guys today just about 
the defense and where it stands today um, after that beatdown in Hamilton, because they're still going to be missing players. There's still going to be four or five guys who wouldn't be in the lineup right now if everyone was healthy. And you have to, you know, I asked if the chemistry was working, you know, if they need to, if they needed to work on that this week. Brendan Alexander told me he felt like that is something they worked on a lot this week to make sure that their communication and chemistry are better. So that's the piece, and uh, we'll see how it works out for the Bombers. Ted, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, Looking forward to reading all about it, and of course, uh, everything coming out of the game as well in uh, your work in the Winnipeg Sun. Thanks for doing this, dude. Thanks, Haas. Have a great day. Great stuff. Ted Wyman, give him a follow on Twitter, and make sure you're checking all of his Bomber curling coverage and more in the pages of the Winnipeg Sun. Got to give a big shout out to Nick. I had a great, uh, saw DQ Nick at the game last night. Looking forward to the upcoming season. They've been busy right now at all the four Nick and Nicky DQs coming out of the summer into the fall. DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. I know we always think of the amazing blizzards, which frankly are often on my mind, especially the Reese's Pieces cookie dough blizzard they dropped this summer. Uh, but the stack burgers are the most slept on burger in the fast food game. If you haven't tried them with the new buns, they are unreal. And uh, I'm a huge fan of the honey barbecue chicken fingers as well. You can pick up up at any of the Nick and Nicky DQs, ice cream novelties to go as well. And of course, if you need a DQ ice cream cake, you can hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. Let them know what you're thinking about a custom cake. They'll get it done, made up for you for a quick and easy pickup at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQ locations. Big cheers to our friends at Little Brown Jug. Amazing Nuit Blanche party last Saturday night. And of course, if you haven't been down to the brewery and tap room on William Avenue, that amazing new patio. Looks like we might have a little more patio weather this week. So make sure to go down and check it out. Thanks again to everyone that joined us for our first sports trivia night at the beginning of the month out at Little Brown Jug as well. Pick up the iconic 1919, the Good Times Variety Pack, and more at Little Brown Jug on William Avenue. You can order at littlebrownjug.ca for citywide delivery or pick it up at your favorite local beer store. And tonight, it's it. Final night of live racing for Assiniboia Downs. What a great year it's been. Awesome to have Darren Dunn on the program yesterday. And that massive mandatory payout for the pick five goes tonight, starting in race number three. We're going to get to our horse picks in a minute. But if you have a wide open slate tonight, you might want to think out and try and I might want to think about getting out, getting down to the track and being part of a massive, massive payout that as Darren Dunn said, could get as high as $1.5 to $2 million. All right, let's get Remus back in here. Lots to uh, chop up, but I see that we do have an update on Mikhail Burden, Reem. And uh, apparently, Mikhail Burden, who, as I said, was the uh, was not included in today's groups, um, it sounds like Rick Bonus has said that it is a uh, a personal issue, and he will leave it at that. So um, no real information on Mikhail Burden. Um, just some questions as to his whereabouts, his status with the Winnipeg Jets, and what, if anything, this means going forward, Reem. Yeah, he's not there. And, you know, we have some other guys who've stepped up, as Murat had talked about, but he's not a goalie scout. Uh, he'll he'll tell you that, but um seems like they have maybe more guys than we thought, and you hope everything's okay with Mikhail Burden. 
All right, let's uh let's get to the cool bet lines, and then uh, we're gonna get to. We got a little bit of Nate Schmidt, or you want to get into some, Nate Schmidt right now if it's ready yeah, to go? Yeah, let's just go to the Nate Schmidt. There's a couple clips from today. We can get to the rest of it, but um, hadn't heard from Nate yet so far this uh, this camp, and he's certainly one of the most entertaining guys to hear from. And uh, I know most of our listeners would love to hear what 88 has for us today on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Where are we gonna start with Nate? Yeah, well, the talk uh, today has is just. Going from last night, saying the veterans have to lead the way, and Nate was asked about uh, his thoughts on Bonus uh, calling out some of the veteran players last night. I, I mean, one thing that uh, you like about Bonus is he says it to the guys um, before he says it to you. Yeah. You know, we make sure that we get our um, feel for it uh, that way, and you're hearing it firsthand. Um, you have a lot of respect for that. Uh, and I think uh, he's right. As veterans, we have to be better in a lot of situations. Last year wasn't good enough, and let's start with that one. There was- All right, there's an interesting one. Um, you know, it is important, especially when you're a new coach, to build that relationship with your players. Uh, I certainly appreciate that Rick Bonus is not BSing everybody in the media and telling it like it is. But, Remo, it's also interesting and I think appreciated, as we just heard from Nate Schmidt, that um, it's not news to them when they hear from Rick bonus in the media, because he's already said it directly to the players first. Yeah. I saw some people in chat being, well, why would he say that to media? But, uh, according to Nate, he's already probably already went in and said, Hey guys, you're taking too long shifts. You're turning the puck over. You're playing slow. And he just goes and says, uh, the same thing. So, you know, we enjoyed Rick bonuses comments and it seems like the players enjoy when someone is being direct and not beating around the bush, telling them, you know, what, uh, you know, that they need more. So, um, it's going to be adjustment period for the players, seems like, but uh, we've enjoyed it so far after two preseason games. Well, for sure. Here's a little bit more from Schmidt, and uh, I mean, he was asked if the guys can maybe get too comfortable with the same group. There's a fine line. Yeah, I think there's a fine line between the two. Um, it's worked in a lot of places, right? And some guys, you know, if you look around the league, there's been guys that have been in teams for long periods of time. I think. It's got to come from the group right. more than anything. And I think that uh, has been happening this year, um, you know, behind the scenes as much as I've ever seen, which has been awesome, you know, with our our new revamped uh, leadership group. And I think it's been something that you look at as a player and you, you like to see where um, those types of things can be can be talked about and said and brought up to the group, you know, and Bone said it the first day, you know, and, Bad teams, you know, uh, no one leads. Good teams, coaches lead, and great teams, the players lead, right? You know, you have to have guys that drive the bus in the room and, and set the standards for each other, you know, because you telling me what the standard is might be different from what we talk about what the standard is versus what you guys talk about the standard is. So if you have everybody that believes in the same one, especially from the player side, then you're going to have a lot of success. Nate, so was that Misfits group a good example? That's a really interesting comment from Nate Schmidt about the, uh, about the leaders. And on great teams, it's the players leading. And it seems like Rick Bonus is making it very clear that he needs his veteran and top players to lead the way doing the right things, buying into the systems and buying into the way that he is asking his team to play. And it was pretty clear he didn't get that last night and everybody knew about it afterwards. One more clip and Mike asked, I haven't heard this yet, but let's hear it right now. Mike asked Nate Schmidt about um, perceived low expectations for the club this season. A year ago, 
uh, Kevin Chevrolet has talked about this. A lot of people were picking the Jets to be a, a real contender. They'd added you and Brendan. Obviously, the season didn't go as planned, and now it seems the reverse is happening. Maybe a lot of people are overlooking the Jets. Perfect. Yeah, I was going to ask, what do you, what's your take on that? Perfect. Why? Almost relish the, maybe the sleeper, the underdog kind of role a little more? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Matt, I'll say this, Remo. Whenever Nate Schmidt finishes playing, he is going to be, uh, I hope that he gets into the media, whether he's doing a podcast, whether he's a color guy, whether he's on the broadcast. He is just so much fun to talk to, to have around. And I know it wasn't a great season for the club and really for him personally last year. Um, but he certainly is a breath of fresh air in front of a microphone, and uh, you'll hope that he can be a big part of a turnaround for the Jets. And I think, honestly, with the aggressiveness of what Rick Bonus is wanting from uh, his defenseman, I think that is a great thing for Nate Schmidt, who in the past has shown that he can jump up into the play. And certainly, when it comes from a points perspective, a shot perspective, I think would be one of the more dangerous Winnipeg Jets defensemen in the other team's end. That was kind of surprising, Hus, that he, you know, was pretty, gave some pretty good answers. And then Mike started asking him about, you know, the lack of expectations for this year. And he just gave the one word answer. Perfect. Perfect. So clearly, I guess they, you know, they like being the underdog role. I think it drives you. And you heard Brendan Dillon. We played it earlier this week. He talked about guys last year, but getting a dose of, Humble pie, maybe. And then I think Lowry said, you know, it's bad and comfortable. Wasn't that his his quote? Um, so, you know what? Maybe there is something that's going to motivate them. I found it entertaining that he gave, you know, the, the one word answer there. So Nate Schmidt uh, doing his thing in front of the microphone today. Kevin Kowalik in chat asking Remo, what's the trophy behind you for? Kevin, are you new here or what? That's the 2014 Home Run Derby media championship won by Remo still the defending champ they haven't done it since then hmm. much to the chagrin of your opponents both Troy Westwood and Ken Weave who oh. still cannot get over that day that they got taken out by you in the bomb contest I I think if they did it again I wouldn't I wouldn't go in I could never live up I'm gonna retire retire as champ I also haven't swung defend a the belt no I gotta I haven't swung a bat and I'd have to actually like practice well, maybe uh, it'll be just right in the middle of the Jewish men's slow peach, uh, pitch pitch league, and you'll have your you'll have your sweet, you know, Hank Aaron swing ready for the ballpark downtown. I didn't play uh, play this year, so I'm I'm done. Like, yeah, you probably are done considering what's coming up down the pipe. I'm not sure yeah. you're going to be getting more time for stuff like that. Um, couple things. I know people were wondering. We will not be doing a live show on Friday for Truth and Reconciliation Day. So we will spend quite a bit of time on the Jets tomorrow as well as teeing up the Bomber game. I haven't reached out, but I'm hoping Ed Tate will jump on the program. Um, but Remo, I guess that means that we should be doing a marble race tomorrow as well and letting everyone know to not miss the end of tomorrow's show because if we're not doing it on Friday, we'll have to back it up and do it uh, heading, into, uh, heading into the weekend on Thursday. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at some of these tracks here and uh, get a good one for tomorrow. Exactly. So, folks, let them uh, let everyone know uh, if uh, they're not around that we'll be getting into it tomorrow. And tomorrow should be a great show. Much more on the Winnipeg Jets. We're going to have Brandon jump on with us. We'll have Ken jump on and then we'll get ready for 
the weekend in the Canadian Football League and in particular Friday night's home game, the Truth and Reconciliation game. And great to see both Bombers and Riders will be wearing orange jerseys before the game. Uh, and I know they'll be um, doing something. The Bombers have done a great job with that you know, last year as well. Uh, but that will be a big focus of the game that's taking place on Truth and Reconciliation Day across Canada, which, of course, is Friday. Um, one other thing just before, well, I may as well, let's get to the cool bet lines. Uh, just finished up our CFL lock shop. Here are your lines right now for the games. Bombers, eight and a half point favorites at home against the Riders. BC, seven and a half home favorites against the struggling Ottawa Red Blacks. And the Elks, three-point home underdogs. They still haven't won at home this year. If it doesn't happen this week, it ain't happening. I think this is the time where it goes down. You can actually get Edmonton at plus 135 on the money line. Uh, Dusty's calling it, which probably means it's going to be a thriller. Uh, so Edmonton plus three in that one. And then the final game of the week, the Argos, six-point road underdogs to the Calgary Stampeders. As far as the National Football League goes, tomorrow... What a great matchup. Still waiting to hear if Tua is going to be playing for the undefeated Miami Dolphins in the jungle to take on the Bengals, who are wearing their white tiger color rush jerseys. I don't know if you've seen those, but uh, they're pretty sick. All white Bengals jerseys for tomorrow night on Thursday night football. Bengals four and a half point favorites right now. Miami plus four and a half on the road. Full slate of NFL odds are up, but the game I am most interested in for obvious reasons is the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Chiefs are one-and-a-half-point favorites against the Bucs. Bucs still dealing with a number of injuries to the receiving core, but they'll get Mike Evans off of suspension. But, Remus, what's most interesting about this game is that it is scheduled for Tampa. And if you've been paying attention online or you know on the news channels, Tampa and Florida is just about to get pounded by Hurricane Ian who's making its landfall as a monster category four storm and storm surge and rain could potentially put upwards of 20 inches in the Tampa St. Pete area. And that could be devastating for the area. And first things first, you're worried about people's health, their safety, their homes. But for NFL fans, this is the Sunday night football game of the week. If they can't play it in Tampa, they're going to have to figure out where to play it. Now, the Bucks, for their part, have been practicing in Miami this week, avoiding what was to come. But we're hearing now that if this game does have to be moved, it's going to be moved to Minnesota, U.S. Bank Stadium, home of the Minnesota Vikings. And I can't help but think that that might be pretty great for Bucks or Chiefs fans around here that might want to make a Sunday drive out to the Twin Cities and see two of the best quarterbacks on the planet go head-to-head. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes against Tom Brady. Uh, now, I don't know if Tom Brady's the best quarterback right now based on this year alone. Part of it is the receivers have been injured, and I don't know if you remember this, though. Uh, uh, the Chiefs lost last week to Matt I Ryan no idea what and you're the Colts. About. Right so I don't think you can. I think Patrick Mahomes. You talk about Jet stock up, stock down. The Chiefs stock stock down. I'm seeing them pretty low on the power. Did you watch the now. game? Like of all of the games, like there's a bunch of teams, good teams that lost. The Chargers got pounded at home by the Jags. The Bills lost. Uh, the Bills lost to the Dolphins. The Chiefs lost to the Colts. The way the Chiefs lost that game. I mean, if Harrison Butker is playing, 
Um, I don't think that they lose. If Chris Jones wasn't such a complete moron taking an unsportsmanlike penalty that turned a fourth and 30 into a first down with four minutes left in the game, they win. I mean, you play that game over and over again. Like there wasn't a bunch of things that the Colts did. Um, It was more them losing. Now, hey, they all count. um, But that was one of the ones I think you can get over. The Bills obviously are dealing with a ton of injuries right now. I mean, they're still absolutely an elite team and a Super Bowl contender. And I don't know what to make of the Chargers because that was so ugly. And in addition to getting their asses kicked by the Jags at home, they had some major, major injuries on both sides of the football. And it just seems like that happens each and every year. Either way, game of the week in the NFL And if you at all were thinking about maybe a a trip down to the States at some point, keep your ears and eyes open for the status of that game. Uh, Because I'll tell you what, they're going to need to fill the building. There'll be tickets available. I think I'm going to be there if that happens. I'm just telling you right now. I don't know where I'll do the show from on Monday, but maybe Mm -hmm. uh, maybe hook up with our buddy Tom Reed at his place there. Um, But We'll, we'll, we'll make something happen. Wow. There, will be a show. there will be a big show on Monday, but I might not be here in the normal WST studio in Winnipeg. We'll figure that out as we uh, as we continue through it. Um, but hey, Remo, one more time this year, our final day, live racing picks for Assiniboia Downs. Let's get to it. And here's what you need to know, folks. The mandatory jackpot pick five will be paid out tonight. The carryover is over $500,000. So that will be given out. And because of how big the carryover is, Darren Dunn was mentioning they'll have at least a million dollars bet on that on the on this wager and potentially in excess of $2 million tonight. Now what you need to do for the the jackpot pick 5 is essentially pick the winner from race 3, race 4, race 5, race 6 and race seven. Um, so, hey, if you're looking for a, a chance to strike it rich, tonight, Assiniboia Downs is the place to be. We can also make our bets at hpibet.com. I'm sure I will get a pick three in, uh, but Remo, for tonight, I've got my regular picks set up. Got a couple triactors, couple Quinellas, and one winner. Um, I may as well just go through mine right now. Race number two, I'm going to take a little bit of a chalky triactor with the top three rated to, uh, horses, Leah's on tune, touch of love, and just to tap in. Uh, then we go to race number four, got a six, seven Quinella with horses, big Tony and dazzling mischief. I like that one a lot. I think I have that one too. Excellent. Race number five, got a Quinella. Two eight. What up now, JT? And know what I mean? Uh, and then in race number six, busy, busy run of uh, of horses. But I'm going to take a long shot. Wits memories had to get at least one wits horse on the final one. Opening morning line at twenty to one, and then the final bet of our competition of the year, race number seven. A triactor box with a few of our favorites. Number one, Zig. Number five, Otani. And number nine, Bite the Bullet Bro. There it is. Just our favorite names from the year. Yeah, Zig. shout out to Zig for Cassie. And I thought we were out on Otani, and then Otani won in the last couple of races. So he's back in, and Bite the Bullet Bro has been awesome too. So uh, 
What do you have for your final uh, your final wagers of the year? Okay, I have I have a couple of triactor boxes. Final rager of the year. Okay, race four. I'm picking uh four six to win. Big Tony. Sorry, Big I didn't Tony. have a Quinella. I was gonna Quinella that one, but I'll take Big Tony to win. Um, race seven triactor box. Six, eight, nine, two steps faster, give a little, bite the bullet, bro. I got race six, tractor box, four, five, seven, NJ's brass, miss parfait, and arouse and go. These are kind of chalk ones. Arouse and go came up with that big win for me. I think that was the one where it was like 115 bucks on a $3 bet or something like that. Yeah. And then I have um, Leah's on tune, uh, race two, horse, horse two to win. So there we go. I got it. There are picks. Again, if you want to go to hpibet.com, if you can't make it out, uh, you click on Assiniboia Downs. You go to race three. It's the mandatory jackpot. And then click on the pick five and uh, start picking your horses. Good luck to everyone. Massive, massive mandatory payout tonight for the final day of live racing. And as Darren Dunn told us yesterday, they are open all year round. I believe they only close on Christmas Day. They've got VLTs there. They've got all the live racing from around the world that you can bet on and great food and beverage. And, of course, the dining room's packed and a great spot for reservations on Friday and Saturday night. Hey. Might actually head out to the track room. It's so nice outside right now. Make the most of this. Uh, it's 27 in Edmonton today. I was so jealous when Dusty was wow. mentioning that. But uh, I'll tell you what, we've got some pretty nice weather coming up over the next few days here in the peg especially for Friday's game tomorrow, 22 and sunny and then 22 and sunny for the bomber rider game. Obviously it's a little bit of a later start, so it won't be quite that warm, but should be a great night to tailgate, take advantage of the Friday. And for those that are off work, maybe get a little bit of a uh, head start on the game, but uh, yeah, we got sunny and 22 or 21 right through the end of the weekend. Wow. And I just want to give a shut pat on my back to myself. Uh, I picked a nice one. I did pick a winner yesterday. Huss. It, I had a hit a Quinella. Oh, did so, you? So yeah, nice. I don't know. I don't know how you did yesterday. Uh, I'll try. Well, to I didn't hit any Quinellas, but I did hit in race number three, um, Club Champ, and Club Champ paid sixteen fifty. So it was, you had uh, Club Champ. Okay, I had uh, Club Champ and uh, someone else last night. Yeah, but I just bet Club Champ to win. Uh, that it was, was a better one, move. It was an eleven dollar win on two dollars, and I had three, so I made uh, sixteen fifty on that one. Yeah, I think I made about eighteen on my five dollar bet. Club Champ Midnight Salute Vanilla. Nice, uh, folks. Big big show tomorrow. Rewiki, Weeb, and a full Bomber Rider preview. We should have the roster for tomorrow as well as the Bombers do their walkthrough and get ready to host the Riders on. The 30th, which of course is the truth and reconciliation game. There will not be a Winnipeg sports talk on Friday, but we'll do a packed show tomorrow to get you ready for Friday heading into the weekend. We'll also make sure to pop in. Not only will we have marbles, we'll also have your chance to win some Jim Beam social passes from our friends at Canadian Club for the game. Uh, and who knows, maybe we'll have a pair of Jets tickets as well. Uh, although I think it's going to be a pretty hot ticket for an exhibition game on Saturday night with the Dale Howard Chuck coin giveaway. And of course the unveiling of the Dale Howard Chuck statue. Uh, the base of this is just phenomenal. I can't get over who is the statue. Eric Blome, a figurative art studio did the sculpture. He's also 
uh, worked in hockey, including the Wayne Gretzky statue in L.A., the Blackhawks 75th anniversary uh, sculpture, and the Toronto Maple Leafs Legends Row. Um, it's wrapped up right now, but everything else about it you can see. Um, it is phenomenal and obviously going to be some um, very, very great guests, including Dale's wife, Crystal, Chris King, Paul Coffey, Dave Ellett, Scott Arneal, and Mark Shifley, all speaking in memory of Dale and honoring him with the statue in True North Square. We'll talk about it tomorrow. We'll have the latest on the Winnipeg Jets. They head to Montreal, maybe a little more on Mikhail Burden's absence. And we'll do it with Brandon Rewicki and Ken Weeb tomorrow on the program. Thanks so much to all the sponsors for making this show happen each and every day. And all of you for making us a part of your day. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk, where they can find us. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for a big show and marbles heading into a long weekend, as it were, with Friday being a day off. That's tomorrow on Winnipeg Sports Talk. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, my God. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.